When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. First question, I've seen a ton of your debates lately. Uh, I thought you handled yourself quite well, for instance, in the Milo debate where he started off with, <laughs> with, it was wild. I felt triggered on your behalf when he just, he just came at your wife extremely hard out of the gate. Obviously a calculated thing. Uh, I know what I saw. Have you seen the videos that I've made in the past at all? The Chris Mon Command videos? Um, I watched a couple to, when I was going to your first podcast a long time yeah. ago, but yeah. So the, the general idea is, I mean, I, I look in a very analytical way at social situations and see if I can figure out the rules that underlie them. Uh, you know, it's a, a bit of an Asperger-y approach to it, mm-hmm. but it was what I had to do when I was in high school trying to like piece together what the hell I was not understanding about how to get girls to like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I started to do that watching you. I'm curious if you're aware of the approaches that you take into these debates, how you handle insults and that sort of thing. Yeah, super analytical and yeah. very deliberate. There's a, there's a huge, um, fuck, every time a topic like this comes, like 15 things pop in my mind. Yeah, so one let's, yeah. let's like break it out. So first mm-hmm. off, I think there's a difference between debates to persuade an audience and mm-hmm. debates to change someone's mind. So Absolutely, I, yeah. I imagine when you walk into that with Milo, you're like, I'm not trying to change Milo's mind. Typically, um, <laughs> Uh, usually like something I've been really big on lately is matching energy. Mm-hmm. So I'll try, I, I try to be very reactive to the person that I'm dealing with. Um, yeah, I try, I try to be very reactive and in, in, uh, that's probably true in social situations too. Mm-hmm. I'll come in, I've got like a certain style that I prefer, but like I'll listen to you and I'll go with your energy and then I'll try to like follow and maybe like lead by my following even depending on how mm-hmm. that person wants to interact. So if you watch that Milo debate, um, I was, I opened up very respectful, very kind, very creative, despite the fact that he was so busy doing fucking blow in the bathroom and being a diva. He was like an hour and a half late um, for a bunch of like college kids. So he like charged like thousands of dollars to come out and do this fucking debate for. And I'm like, bro, like I'm bigger than you now. I didn't charge these kids anything. I'm here on time. Like how fucking rude to to, like do this to these guys. Uh, But yeah, I waited. I was respectful. But then as soon as he started opening up with the personal attacks, um, then obviously it affords me a bit of room to be, uh, a little bit nasty as well. And if somebody wants to get really dirty, I'll, I mean, I'll roll in the mud if you want to, depending. So, yeah. So once somebody, it's kind of like, uh, have you ever seen the YouTube channel, Every Frame of Painting? Yeah. Have you seen the episode on Jackie Chan? Yeah, I mean, I've watched almost all their videos. So okay, I, definitely I have, have too. Yeah. The, there's a part in the Jackie Chan one that he points out that's very good and it's very satisfying from a heroic perspective that when you're watching, when you're watching heroes fight villains, the hero almost always starts off from behind and has to catch up. And that makes the victory, one, it gives them the moral authority to fight because mm-hmm. the other person is like more powerful. Usually they're up to no good. And two, it gives you a very satisfying end. And I've noticed that when I engage with certain people, if I come out of the gate really hard, I can be very overwhelming, very overbearing. I can destroy somebody. If you want to see that person get destroyed, it's cool. Yeah. But it also, it just kind of looks a little like, ugh. But if I wait for the other person to lead, be a little bit nasty to me, then I can start to like ramp up my stuff. But the other person always looks more unhinged than me because I'm always being responsive to them mm-hmm. rather than coming over the time and be like, this is Milo, he's a piece yeah. of shit, let's go, which would afford him the opportunity to come at me and then I would look like the one that was sensitive to getting everything. So I'm very deliberate when I think about all these things, yeah? Yeah, so it's funny you use the word reactivity because I see it in a, in a different way. I was seeing non-reactivity, which is he insulted your wife. You didn't answer that. You just, you just 
continued with whatever your statement was. And I thought I've seen you in a handful of podcasts. You've got a number of ways that you handle insults, but one of them is I see you saying, yes, I will match their energy and maybe return an insult, but I'm not going to fight or deny <laughs> or struggle against the shitty bucket that you've put me in. Cause I think, you know, at that point now you're debating whether or not, I don't know, some just somewhere you don't want to be in the sure. conversation. I usually bring something to an equal level. Like I think with Milo, what did I start digging on? The, um, Oh fuck. You went with the cancellation and the something like the, that. You eventually the, hit him with the cocaine in the bathroom. Oh, maybe. Yeah. I started to, yeah. There was something that I said, Oh, and the pedophile stuff. Yeah. And then he was like, what did you say? And I was yeah. like, yeah, I said this. What do you want to say about it? And then he just mm-hmm. like stared at me for 20 seconds and then continued on. Yeah. Another common thing that I saw, you just uh, had the whatever podcast with, uh, about abortion. And in that it echoed something I saw in the Milo, which was this, uh, how dare you statement came up in both of them. How dare you? Yeah. And, uh, it seemed in both of them super disingenuous. <laughs> and I'm just curious if you've sensed that in the moment and uh, you seem to just steam right through it. Un- I'll just unaffected. laugh at it. Yeah, it's yeah. St- I'm not going to sit here and like play games yeah. around some moral grandstanding. Mm-hmm. Like if I've actually mortally wounded or offended your <laughs> psyche on some shit, like it, ha- it needs to be some like really deep mm-hmm. stuff. Like if I'm like making fun of a dead parent or like some tragedy, then yeah, I can yeah. understand that. But the like, how dare you do this politically? It's like the oldest trick in the book. And I'm mm-hmm. like, we're not politicians here running for city council or something like this isn't going to do anything in this conversation with it's me. It's crazy, but there is that, uh, I don't suspect that the the women that you were speaking with thought about this in advance, but there was, there was a performative aspect. So people seem to intuit that when you're in a debate, you are performing. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that you can win this performance is by assuming the role of victim incredibly powerfully. So like, setting someone up to have hurt you in a way that is too grievous for you to continue. And I've seen uh, even people that I respect, like Christopher Hitchens used to do this when he would talk about Christianity. How dare you say the deed of the blah, 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 and talk about all the the evils at the, the feet of Christianity. And it is when, when oh, the audience S- is stunned. Stephen Fry did that same thing. When somebody asked him, like, what would you say to God when you get to heaven? How he's like, how dare, dare you? Yeah. Child yeah. cancer? Yeah, yeah, I remember. It's it's powerful, you mm-hmm. know, and the— um. The demonstration of moral indignancy is an incredibly powerful thing, even though it shouldn't be a strong, logical thing. So I'm, I'm curious how you think about debates because clearly, well, maybe you don't think this, what wins a debate is not necessarily the best argument or the most sound, logical approach to it. There is a bit of performance art that's going on. Is that something that you think about? I wouldn't say that it's so much a performance art. I would say that there are, there are multiple layers to a debate and you don't only have to manage the the logical discourse back and forth, you also have to manage the meta expectations of what's going on in the conversation as well. Mm-hmm. So I realized like about 20 or 30 minutes into that debate that this logically, I felt like I had the upper hand because typically when people start engaging in like a lot of crazy argumentation, it's because they know they can't come mm-hmm. back to you logically. So I knew logically I had the upper hand. So then the rest of the time I'm like writing this, I'm trying to figure out like, how do I manage this on a meta level? Cause this is going to be like a shit show otherwise. So I'm trying to think like, do I need to go really hard on the insults? Should I start screaming at them and cut them off? Should I just be quiet and let them continue to interrupt me? So I look good for the camera. Mm. Um, should I appeal to the moderator? Like I'm trying to think of like all these things as they're like shouting at me to figure out like, what did what you my- come to? What was this sort of conclusion that you found? <clears throat> um, at some point, there were a few points that I wanted to finish. So I'm like, I need to, if they're going to keep cutting me off, I'll let them cut me off for a while. But at some point I need to say like, I'm going to finish this. Let me finish this. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to finish this. Um, I did that a few times. Um, when the one lady was like, I'm going to treat you like a child. I'm like, okay, I'll be a child then. Like, <laughs> like kind of like be a little bit meme fun with it or whatever. Well, you um, yes ended several of the insults, which I thought 
it was yeah anytime somebody pulls out like a, you're yeah. misogynistic i'm like yeah i am and it's getting worse by the moment you you could you added to it and it diffused it so quickly in that yeah it it, i just super yeah. before the cameras were rolling um i admit i'm a little edgy i was being a little edgy too but like one of the women across the table for me i didn't know she was trying to set up something for the debate she was like i heard you defend the n-word in private <laughs> And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I defended in public too. <laughs> and she was like, why would you ever say that? And I'm like, well, sometimes black people just really piss me off. <laughs> and then she didn't have anything else to say. And I was like, we just rolled into it. And like, I could tell both of them were like a little bit irked by the answer. Like, oh, I don't know. What do you want? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not going to, we're not doing this right now. But yeah. behind that is the sense that this is not a good faith engagement. So I'm not going to give you my actual justifications and reasons for some of these things. I'm going to play into the worst stereotype that you are implying that I fall into to kind of prove to you that you don't even care. You're just looking for some sort of uh, moral victory. Or a little bit. It's also like choosing, like, like it's like choosing your battle arena. Um, you, you like, if somebody is trying to pull you into a certain area, this is a huge problem I used to have. I don't know if this is ADHD or if it was just my, like, hubris, but generally when I'm having a debate with somebody, I'm usually pretty informed of the topic, and I'm willing to follow them around anywhere they want to go. Like, we can start a debate about Donald Trump and end up at the World Economic Forum, whatever. I'll go wherever you want to go because we can do that. Um, and in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm confident. I know the material, and that's fine. But when I'm realizing, I realize this on a meta-conversation level, what's actually happening is I'm not actually solidifying any wins in the eyes of any audience because anytime I'm getting close on one area, they'll pivot to another topic mm -hmm. until invariably they will find something that I don't know much about and I'll get stumped on an issue. And then the first real L, because I'm not going to just pivot to something else if I don't know, I'll be like, okay, I'm not sure. I look like I've taken an L after an hour of them running from topic mm -hmm. to topic to topic. Mm -hmm. So if somebody wants to drag me to a certain area, like, oh, you're a misogynist. I'm like, okay. And like, I'll just like move past it because I don't want to have that fight right there, right now, because that's just not what I'm looking to have a battle over. Yeah. And I've sensed, and I don't know if this is uh, because you don't want to fight, but you have a way of not taking L's by employing the same thing, which somebody will say something and you'll just go, okay. You know, and, and there's this, this sense that you're communicating is, this is almost, I'm too tired of this. I'm, this, this is frustrating or beneath my elect intellectual engagement at this point. A little bit, but you have to be careful with that too, because like something that I used to do that I've tried not to do as much is sometimes I'll be going down such a dumb line of argumentation and it's like mm -hmm. so frustrating at the end. I'll just be like, okay, sure. Okay. And then move yeah. on to the next thing. And maybe in the eyes of my audience, it looks like, okay, like obviously this guy's dumb is going on, mm -hmm. but I think to a neutral audience and to the other person's audience, it looks like I'm giving up because I know I've lost the point. Mm -hmm. So that's like a meta thing I have to manage as well. Like I can't do that. That's why I don't know if I did any abortion, but I think I did. But after somebody finishes a ramble, I'll never, I try not to let people just finish their thing. And be like, okay, I usually, and I think I might've even explicitly said, I can't let them just do their whole thing. And get their point off. Like I am going to restate my argument until we move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Cause if I just let them restate and I go, okay, fine. And we move on. It's going to look to the audience like I'm agreeing with them or I've like given up arguing my point you know yeah and within all of this is the idea that you're 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 not taking steps to open your interlocutor up as much as possible you understand that the goal is not like they're probably because we're on camera and representing an organization are have an entrenched position that is mm -hmm. not going to move we're not going to cover new ground in their mind they're gonna they're gonna fight that yeah so I'm speaking to an audience who is responding to there's a bit of like power cues in this. Who's taking L's, who's who's winning, and that is how they're forming their worldview from a place of a bit more receptivity because they're sitting in the comfort of their own home. Yeah. Like if I'm arguing about topic X with a person who's the head of organization, we support X to the death. Yeah. Like you're not gonna you're not changing your mind. <laughs> I'm not gonna have a debate with Donald Trump and convince him to be a Democrat. I'm not gonna have a debate with Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton and convince them to, you know, be a free market absolutionist, capitalist yeah. like Republican. Like yeah, so I like I understand people in certain positions of um, 
uh, influence or ideological organization are going to suffer some degree of audience capture to where they're expected to give certain answers and they have to give certain answers and there's no maneuverability in there for them. So I'm just there to explore how deeply have you thought about this. And then once I've hit that rock bottom, I make my case to the audience. Then we kind of move on. Do you feel that present in your streams, the audience capture for you? Absolutely not. My audience hates some of the takes that I have. Okay. <laughs> to this day, some of my takes for my audience are really unpopular. Um, but I'm also, I'm not like ideologically owned by anything. So I have a lot more flexibility to kind of like grow and change and move. Like I call myself like the omni-liberal because I'm like, broadly speaking, I'm a liberal, but I try to take like good positions from other people. Mm -hmm. um, like I'm pro, I like guns a lot. I'm a very big proponent of like self-defense and defensive property. Um, I'm really big on like expanded taxation for good social programs. Like I've got like a lot of views all over the place, but I justify them all from like an internal schema that I make available to the public and and yeah, I don't have to worry about like, if somebody brings me up a really good argument for like, Steven, I know that you like guns a lot, but there's here are really compelling reasons why we should probably get rid of guns. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll probably change my mind on it then. That's a good argument. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not like an NRA card carrying member or like a Republican advocate that works for the RNC where I have to have these positions or else I'm threatening some aspect of of my income or my livelihood. You know, my audience looks to me to be Stephen Bunnell and to have Stephen Bunnell's point of view, not to be a progressive or a conservative or a liberal or whatever. What about ego attachment to winning or losing or, or the, uh, do you notice or feel that in yourself? Um, not much because I never lose an argument. So I don't really have to worry <laughs> so, about yeah, that. Would ego never, thing. That could never happen. Um, I try to employ strategies to manage my ego. Mm -hmm. Um, especially when I debate with so many idiots, it's very hard not to feel, uh, very egotistical sometimes. But like, I, I try to be very careful and I try to qualify my positions very carefully when I'm having certain conversations. So a really good example recently are the Tates. Mm -hmm. Um, I, very much believe that they are guilty of sex trafficking, assuming everything they've said in the YouTube videos is true. They've laid out everything. Um, but I think they should have- Do you want to take a minute just to talk about that? I've mentioned it on the podcast, but- Yeah, um, basically Andrew Tate has very explicitly detailed how he utilizes women that he's got sexual relationships with to bring in other women that he's promised you know, monogamous marriages to, that he's asked for servitude and loyalty from. When he brings them in, he'll bring in his bottom bitch. He'll have that bottom bitch convince the girl to start doing sex work and then he'll get them kind of like enrolled in these programs. He talks about how he uh, defrauds them on their taxes to steal more money from them than what he originally takes. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of other accusations in those indictments. And this is in like a course that he had. I saw, I saw um, something on YouTube. I don't even know if that was a course. I think that was just him talking. Sure, it was YouTube him videos. talking to the camera. I but was, yeah, he's given courses as I well. I was yeah. blown away by, yeah. by some of the things. But when said. I say this, again, I'm very careful to say, if, if that's true, if he's, if he's true, he could be just lying for the camera. That's yeah, possible. It could be cool guy stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it should still have to be proven in court beyond a reasonable doubt because that's the standard the world uses generally for criminal convictions, which I support. So because I've given those qualifications, if it does come out that he is acquitted in court because either he was lying to the camera or they just don't have evidence, then it's very easy for me to look back and say, well, hey, this was my position all along. He should have stayed in court. He won, so he won, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then that's it. I think it's very careful when you have positions to qualify them so that you have space to move away from them given the level of conviction you have for that idea. So like for instance, right now, my position on abortion, you saw me argue, my position on abortion is I think that conscious beings should be preserved. Conscious human thought should be preserved. But if you don't even have that capacity for conscious human thought, then you're not worthy of moral consideration. So corpses have lost that capacity. Brain dead comatose people in persistent vegetative states have lost that. And fetuses before 20 weeks have lost that. Mm -hmm. But Let's say somebody came up with a study like, hold on, Stephen, you said you're pro-choice in the first trimester. Here's a new scientific study that showed that fetuses, 100%, they have conscious thought by two weeks. Mm -hmm. Then I would go, oh, okay. Well, that's my 
my marker for when it should be preserved. So I would say I'm probably against abortion now. Yeah. But because of the qualifications I've given before, I can very easily move off that position without feeling some egotistical attachment to it to where, well, now if the position is attacked, now you're attacking my character and people aren't going to suffer character attacks. I'm not going to. So now you're like roped into fighting for this position. Like you're fighting for your life because you're so closely identified with it. Yeah. It, I mean, it sounds like your positions are uh, to the best degree possible built from philosophical foundations upwards to policy, upwards to what mm-hmm. we know to be true. Yeah, and then the conviction matches like the fundamentalness of the belief. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't have a strong attachment at all to capitalism. Mm-hmm. I just think it happens to be the best organization about a con right now. I do have a very strong attachment and a high conviction to creating a society that serves the interests and, and needs of most people to the mm-hmm. best of our abilities without working to the detriment of too many people. Mm-hmm. I feel very strongly about that. Capitalism is a good tool for it, tool for it, but if you show me that like a fully socialist utopia would actually work better, I can abandon capitalism immediately. That's fine. I'm not like a hardcore capitalist. I, I mean, I am and that I support it, but only insofar as it serves those fundamental philosophical positions. And if you show me something that serves those positions better, well, then I'll change because that's what I really care about. Why is that hard for people to do? Generally, because most people don't super ground out their positions philosophically. They tend to inherit what I would call um, like trees or systems of belief from other people. Mm-hmm. And typically what will happen is, is if you say one thing, it lights up a whole bunch of tangential things. And all of these things like a ball of yarn are tied together and you can't really give on any of them mm-hmm. without all of it falling apart. So, so for instance, if yeah. I say like, let's talk about like 15 an hour minimum wage. If, if a, if I'm having a, a talk with an intelligent person that's thought about it, they might say 15 an hour minimum wage is beneficial because there is some NBER studies that show that when you raise the minimum wage to a certain level, workers are paid more, benefits are already, companies aren't hurt that much. Like, okay, fine. Most people will say 15 an hour minimum wage is important because we need to pay a living wage. Mm-hmm. As soon as I've heard somebody say living wage, I know they probably think corporations are evil. They probably think workers and unions are good. They probably think the government is generally against the people and is taking the sides of corporate. Like they have all these other beliefs and all of these beliefs are usually tied in a little bit to that 15 an hour minimum wage. So for me to get them off of 15 an hour minimum wage, what they really have to do is deconstruct a whole bunch of other thoughts that they have built in. It could be similarly too, if I'm arguing with right-leaning people, I like to give a left and right example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not being partisan. If I could be a right-leaning person, we might argue about vaccines, right? For me to argue with them and convince them that the vaccine isn't horrible, well, to them, the vaccine is bad because Fauci and the FDA are corrupt, because the yeah. deep state runs everything, because the WF and Klaus Schwab, right? For them to roll over on the vaccine, they would also have to undo all that other stuff. So that, I think that's the issue. Usually when you're arguing with people, you're not arguing with somebody that has discreetly like established a bunch of different mm-hmm. policy positions from a really strong philosophical base. You're arguing with somebody that's inherited like a collection of ideas and beliefs that are all like interdependent on one another. Yeah, and what I see is that often that collection is tied to tribal alignment. Oftentimes. Some, and it's it's this is what, this is how I fit in my church growing up or this is how I fit into my progressive uh-huh. group of friends in college and like, you're actually threatening my survival socially yes. it's to start to dis and disown and disinherit some of these beliefs. And that is why the fuck would I put myself at risk for this conversation? That's why I thought I brought this up. I think actually in another show um, this week where um, you've seen men in black, I trust, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, there's that conversation in the park that Kay has with Jay where Jay says, why don't you just tell people that aliens are mm-hmm. real? And Kay says, you know, they couldn't handle it. And Jay says, well, I think uh, people are smart. They could handle yeah. it. And then Kay says, a, a person. person is smart yeah. and people are stupid. And I, I actually, I spent a lot of time um, this last month thinking about that quote, like why? Mm-hmm. And I think the answer that I kind of came to was the reason why is because 
we are by default, we are very, very, very social creatures. We're, by nature, this is why like scams and, and Conrad's work, by nature, we want to like appease the person in front of us. We want to like feel like we're communicating and connecting with people. When you're having a one-on-one conversation with somebody, you can get some very reasonable opinions from them. Mm-hmm. You're giving your take, hopefully in an empathetic way. They're understanding you and hearing you because like it's a one-on-one human interaction. There's a lot of reward there for coming to an agreement and understanding each other. Mm-hmm. But once they're gone and they go back to a social group, there is almost zero reward. In fact, there's a lot of punishment there for being empathetic to an outside party, but there's yeah. so much social reward for buying into the group. And it's that social reward you get for fully buying into the ideas of a group that you're in. I think that's what keeps people locked into tribalistic ways of thinking. And that's where you can pull somebody away from the group, have a really reasonable conversation yeah. with them. And then once they run back to the group, they're right back on what they were saying before. Did you, did you see the big red pill debate I had with Rolo Tomasi and Michael? Yeah. I said that and I knew this would happen and it did happen. I'm very firm on the things I believe. I said multiple times in that debate, hey, listen, because they kept saying, oh, we really agree. Oh, we really agree a lot. Oh, we really agree. And I said explicitly, I said, listen, you're saying that we really agree now, but when I go back to my people, yeah. I'm going to say the exact same stuff. You guys are going to start changing this is up a lot. This a tactic of yours that I've noticed, which is uh, the Babe Ruth calling your shot. Tell yeah. them what's going on. I will. I'm going to say exactly. <laughs> yeah, because I want to make the audience aware of like the meta stuff. I'm not trying yes. to, when I track meta conversations, I'm not trying to trick people. Well, it's because I want people to be abundantly clear. how predictable people are and yeah. how enslaved they are to ideology Mm -hmm. or social conformity. Yeah. When you say, look, I'm going to do this, you're going to give me this, but you will back out and you will start insulting me as soon as we get to here. It's like the level of predictability in you, Mm -hmm. uh, it shows that you're not operating as an individual. You are operating as a predictable cog of an ideology or something. Mm -hmm. Um, but continue. So, this was happening with Rolo. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that, like, I, I just to summarize, yeah, to the the. I understand the social rewards of why people in groups act certain ways because, like you said, why the fuck would I branch out mm-hmm. and like think for myself or have some ideas that don't belong to the group when there's so much reward, uh, yeah. so much punishment for it, almost no reward. Mm-hmm. Like your reward is like personally satisfying enrichment of like what, like who really cares like that much, truth, right? Who needs um, it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, truthfully, right? Yeah. But, no, it's, but it's like the totally social reward is like so much more. Yeah, it's so much more valid. Yeah. To people, yeah. look if. If you have to choose between truth and social cohesion, social cohesion will keep you alive. Of course. And truth very well may not. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, that's, there's uh, an inbuilt predisposition towards one over the other. Yeah. I think. It's like, I don't know if you, have you ever been involved in like internet drama stuff before? I've avoided it pretty well. Okay. Here, this is the worst thing to ever hear. And fuck everybody that's ever told me this. Um, <laughs> right people to do the this, camera. Yeah, people said. do this all the fucking time. The wor- <laughs> And you guys all know this too. Every streamer, every YouTuber knows this. The worst, the worst fucking message you ever get from somebody is when you're going through some crazy shit and you know it's stupid that other people are being dumb and people message you like, hey dude, I just want you to know like I really support you. And it's like, why the fuck are you telling me this privately? If you really support me, why don't you go mm, on Twitter and I, put your neck I, out for me, motherfucker? Yeah, don't yeah, sit yeah. here and say, like, oh, I support you. I wish I could say, like, fuck you. Your, your shit doesn't mean anything then, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, people do that all the time. Because, like, individually, they might know, like, listen, like, I got your back. Like, I know this is fucked up. But publicly, they're not going to say shit Mom, because the social you, punishment yeah. there is so huge for it. couple of thoughts to come up that you were asking. I've asked myself the question, why is a person smart but people are dumb and rolling animals? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the thoughts, which I don't know if this gels, is that there's that quote, like the best lack all conviction while the worst have it in spades. And the, the idea that there's, there's this tendon, like I, I think it's a healthy tendency towards openness allows you to assimilate more and arrive at truth over the course of a long lifetime. Mm-hmm. But what leads one of, we have five traits that are typically very charismatic and high conviction is one of them. That's your Conor McGregor. That's your Donald Trump. That's your Andrew Tate, who is so certain about how everything in the world is going to work 
And it's not that he's right about the world. It's that he is has high conviction. And when people who have high degrees of openness or are more uncertain, you know, whoever in the group has the most conviction winds up leading oftentimes. And it's not because they are closer to the truth or the most moral way of being, but because they believe it more fully. Uh-huh. This is something that I wrestled with a lot because regardless of like how egotistical, I guess some people think I come off, I am really humble in terms of like, I, I know the extent of my knowledge really well. One issue that I ran into because of that is like, if I'm in a debate and somebody brings in something I genuinely am stumped by or don't know, I'll admit it. I'm like, I don't, I'm not sure about this. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, you might be right on this. But if I'm against somebody else, most people that I argue with have such high conviction on everything, even if they have no fucking idea what they're talking about. Um, and it automatically makes me look weak to be more intellectually humble there. So I had to find strategies around that sort of thing because it was making me look bad in debates against people that were just wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, for a little while, I tried this in two conversations. <laughs> for a little while, I would just flat out lie. I would have somebody debate me and they would say something, they'd bring up like an econ study. They'd be like, don't you know that like for the for minimum wage, don't you know that it's true that when you raise minimum wage, there was a study done, um, I think in uh, I think in like the 2000s or whatever in Massachusetts where they showed that when they raised the minimum wage, it actually hurt a ton of businesses. I would just flat out say, like, I've actually seen that study. You're completely wrong. Um, it says the exact opposite. Every single time I did that, the person was like, oh, okay, maybe. And then they backed off it immediately. And I'm like, yeah. is that easy? Do they have this no idea? the depth the of your understanding. Yeah, they yeah. Just, I just had no idea about it. But yeah. I, I stopped that pretty soon, obviously, because I don't want to like be known yeah, as that's like- That's not how you want to win. Yeah. Um, but, but usually, you, know you could probably make a career of that. The, yeah. the, the level that you would get to before you even got- Got called to, out. And by the way, by that time, you'd have 43% of the population just totally at your back. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, what I started doing is now when- when somebody says that now I'll, I'll qualify heavily like my opinion so it's like oh what do you know this? usually I'll say I don't think you're right I'm pretty sure you're lying about this study um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to look this up afterwards and it's going to be the exact opposite of what you're telling me which usually encourages the audience to start looking immediately and I'll see people like pop up with answers sometimes They're like oh yeah it was completely opposite and then I'll say like if that's true, given what you're saying is true, then I probably would think a little bit differently about this. But this is something that I need to research on my own because every time I'm provided data on a subject like this, it's always the exact opposite of what you're telling me. Mm-hmm. So that's usually how I qualify that if it's truly something outside of my area of expertise. Yeah. yeah. Going back just a bit, I was thinking about audience capture and how you've handled it. I was reminded of Jordan Peterson. Um, <laughs> no, I actually like a lot of what he says. Uh-huh. Uh, the... It short term is obviously not beneficial to fall out of line with whatever group you are. And you have to, you know, he's got, I think, some issues with audience capture as oh, well. Yeah. So I, I acknowledge. <laughs> uh, but he also is a strong advocate for, I think, when he did stand up and disagree with his professors, that was what carved out a new career for him. And when I think of the difference between you and a Fox News anchor, you get to be you professionally forever mm-hmm. because you have resisted. The, I will not be a Democrat or Republican or this or that or a mouthpiece for this. And so I get to be me. And you're here. If you're still here, you're here for me. Mm-hmm. Versus if it's a Fox News anchor and you have a different opinion, you're just gone. And nobody cares because they never were there for you. Exactly. They were there for a mouthpiece of the ideology. And so I think that that pattern of, yes, there's tremendous short-term benefit for blending in with the group, saying what it is, and there's a uh, short-term cost over a long enough timeline in a safe enough world, which I think we generally live in you are far better suited to be an individual <laughs> and, and say what you think. Um, Do you, you disagree? If I don't know for everybody. I'm not sure. Okay. I wrestle with that a lot. Um, one of the big things I've been struggling with recently is trying to figure out like, one thing that Red Pill does really well is it gives people like a whole way to view the world. One of the big benefits about religion is it gives you a metaphysical, 
a way of like understanding like what things are. It gives you an epistemic, a way to like evaluate what is true and false, how to understand knowledge, and a um, and an ethical view of the world. You get all three of these things completely solved for you. Um, you know, the the world is what the Bible says it is. Truth is what God tells you. Ethics are the Ten Commandments. You get everything solved for you, and you don't have to worry about any of that dumb shit. And then you can just go and live your life. That is such an anxiety reducer. I don't yeah. even think people acknowledge the tremendous. I mean, some people who might have left religion have had these crises. Mm -hmm. it, the amount of anxiety that enters into your system when you go, "Holy cow, these big questions are unanswered." Is insane. So solving them mm -hmm. in one fell swoop is is pretty psychologically. Tempting. Yeah. So I think that's why those movements are so successful. Um, so like, I think Red Pill Movement does a lot of similar things. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very difficult for me to combat those movements because I'm very like, I'm very discreet with all of my thoughts. Like they don't all come from one ideological movement. So I can, mm -hmm. in some ways, it'll seem like I'm all over the map on things. Um, but in other ways, like, I mean, like if you understand my philosophical foundations, like it's pretty easy to guess what my opinions about a given topic will be. Um, but it's hard because... Sometimes people will ask me like, oh, like what should I think about a given thing? And usually I'll say, well, like give me your core values and I'll give you probably the direction that you should head. Mm -hmm. But they don't always have those worked out. So they're really just yeah. asking me like, the last thing I want is I don't really want my audience to copy my policy positions. I kind of want them to copy my thought process. Yeah. And if we end up disagreeing at the end of the day on some policy positions, that's, that's fine. But I don't want you just like repeating verbatim. Like, cause one, I might change my mind because other data will come out. And two, I kind of defeats the entire purpose of my whatever political project, whatever you call my channel, if you're just like treating me as like another Fox News anchor, like, mm -hmm. oh, what is my ideology? Whatever destiny says, right? Mm -hmm. That's not like a, yeah. Well, recently, I think it's it's interesting that you say that because you've obviously, you've got the political and I think that was a huge piece of what you did. I, there's so much more social aspect of what you're doing. You're talking a lot with the red pill. Um, mm -hmm. And I've heard you say that uh, they don't address relationships. They don't, there's a lot of things that are taken just, they don't matter to the red pill movement because it's up until you have sex with her and then maintain mm -hmm. uh, frame. I'm curious, this is perhaps broad, but we can narrow in on it. Uh, your, what you would recommend broadly as an approach to interactions with women from men, like what, what is, not the antidote to the red pill, but what is a competing view of the world that people can live through? Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. I have a really hard <laughs> well, this, time. And this is, yeah, it's like, leave this and go where? Well, mm -hmm. the, pro the issue is that like, they have like such a compelling narrative to describe the whole world. Mm -hmm. I would argue that it's a bad narrative because like all bad narratives, it makes really bad predictions. A good narrative is one that will give you accurate predictions of how people will behave or how the world will respond to what you're doing. And I don't think anything in the red pill predicts anything good. Mm -hmm. um, like I, you follow the red pill to a T. It's not like, you remember like the PUA scenes and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, if I didn't like them, at the very least, I could say like, if you follow a lot of PUA shit, you'll probably get laid. I don't think that's true with the red pill. I don't think it's gonna give you any success with women, any success with relationships. Um, what is the difference between PUA and red pill? I don't know enough of the, I thought that they were like closely related to I think up. it kind of, red pill kind of gave you it, but PUA seemed to like acknowledge like, these are the ways that you can kind of get women. These and are like- these are the things to say, things yeah, to Yeah, the like little psychological tricks. to do, yeah. Red pill has gotten to this whole weird, crazy world of like, sexual market value and like high value men can juggle multiple women and women like to be cheated on because it makes them more competitive mm -hmm. and you're you need to fuck 50 women by the time you're 35 so that you can settle down with a virgin to get married and have a family but also you should never get married because all women are looking to fuck your life over in divorce so you shouldn't even live with your mm -hmm. significant other to avoid common law marriage it, it's just like oh it's a 
wacky world of like, one, it makes bad predictions of human behavior yeah. because most people are not like this. Um, and then two, it's not going to help you get any girls because like none of this shit, never in the life of has any woman been like, I wish my boyfriend was more into red pill stuff. That's just <laughs> never been a conversation. To be well, there is, I think that if I had to give them the, the truth in it is that, and I think this is unfortunate, is like there are women who respond well and with a more commitment to being cheated on. That doesn't mean they, these are, um, that's gotta be like the damaged ex- people, a crazy exception. <laughs> yes. And, but, and you know, I have spoken, they, they have, uh, the way that red pill describes relationships in my opinion is uh-huh. like two traumatized people just, that's what it sounds like. When I listen to a lot of people, it sounds a lot like, and a, like they're going to take you. all your money and yeah. they're going to do all this. It's like, I don't, that happens. And you can point out examples. Like, there are also a lot of divorces that don't do that. There yeah. are people that walk away and don't make that decision. There mm-hmm. are people that have, people talk so much about like alimony destroying. Like, alimony is like ten percent of all yes. divorces. It's not like the most common thing in the world. And you if know, your yeah. world matches that worldview, I see why it's very appealing. But it also it actually says less about the world and more about the people that you draw into your own life through the way that you are being. If everyone that you interact with. Uh, is into super high status, flashy men and doesn't give a shit about <laughs> the type of personality you have and you make a conclusion uh-huh. that this is what women are, this is what the women in the pond that you are fishing in are like yes. and that are responding to you are mm-hmm. like. There's a really frustrating line and it was the, it was like one of the biggest self-reports I've ever seen, but I don't think anybody realized it. Um, Fresh and Fit did an episode with Valuetainment where they had like 40 girls on and it was just them and like Fresh and Fit. Mm-hmm. And one of the lines that Myron uttered to one of the girls was like, listen, if you want to be seen in this world as a man, you've got to be a high achiever. Like the all the men that you see here, we're only here because we achieved high. You're just here because you're a girl. And it's like, it's your show. You invited this is them. your show. <laughs> like, do you this think people make it to Oprah just world. because they're an attractive woman? Mm-hmm. Do you think people make it to like a late night yeah. show or a late show just because they're an attractive girl? Like- that's, yeah, that's your choice, yeah. <laughs> you know? And but, I, so yeah, if you keep surrounding yourself with those types of people, the philosophy becomes self-fulfilling. <laughs> I remember the well, first- it is your world, because nobody's world is 7 billion people. Their yeah. world is 70 people. Sure, and and yeah. then they talk about the world, and like, then we've got everybody talking about the world, having all, it's like the people discussing what an elephant is, you yeah. know, all trying to make an agreement. It's like, no, you're just describing your small section of it that you have selected for. Yeah, hard By who you for. are. I remember the first time I left Fresh and Fit, I remember thinking like, <laughs> Holy shit, if all women were like the women on this show, I would be fucking super would be red pill. Red- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%. I get it now. If these are the women that they bring on all yes. the time, yeah. Yes, and it is not a mistake that they are here. They are here in the way that they are because they were invited by you, attracted by you. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about game or like, you know, how should, could, should, I don't know if you have any, have you approached dating in a way that is different or, you know, if you were to share because I don't know that there's a lot of other competing <laughs> narratives out there. Um. Man, I don't know. It's like, again, I don't think I have like a wholly cohesive narrative. There's just mm-hmm. like a lot of little things that I've kind of like learned over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess like if I, so one is I I know who I am and I know the kind of people I attract and I know the kind of people that wouldn't be attracted to me. Mm-hmm. So like I'm very much into like kind of like, this is uh, super important, by the way. And I don't think this is discussed because the idea mm-hmm. of red pill is this is who women are. Yeah. And this is, and what you're saying is there are lots of different people attracted to lots of different things. Some mm-hmm. women are going to go to the gym. They're going to get really swole and they're going to date the guy that is 300 pounds of raw muscle. And yeah. that is going to be every boyfriend they have. Somebody else is going to date every skinny rocker. Somebody else is going to date people that are deadbeats and mm-hmm. they just need to caretake. Like, yeah. Fine. If there's a girl on <laughs> Tinder and she's like, I need a guy with 36 inch arms. It's like six, four. It's like, I'm not trying. There's, I'm not going to be barking up that tree. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I know. Yeah. So there's a certain type of girl that I like, and there's a certain type of girl that likes me. I tend to like maybe kind of like nerdier, kind of like alt girls, people that are like very aggressive 
aggressive, like career intellectual driven girls. Mm-hmm. Um, like this tends to be the crowd, um, game people, maybe politics people. These tend to be like the crowd that I do well with. And so that's kind of like the crowd that I navigate through the most. That's not exclusively what I'm, um, what, what I can score with. It just depends. Why on Why is the it the person. crowd that you do well? And I think, I think it's cause that is reflective of which, where you would be otherwise. Yeah. Um, I mean like the, on a, on a first date, typically my style of, um, fuck seduction sounds so cringe. Um, conversation I'll say is I'm usually talking to somebody. Usually my goal is to ask a person a lot of questions to figure out like, what's kind of like your life? What are the things you into? What are you passionate about? Like my goal is through conversation to figure out like, what are some things that you feel really strongly about? Maybe you don't get to talk about a lot that you'd like to. And how can I listen to you talk about these things and like engage with it, like in a funny way that shows that I'm like charismatic, charming, humorous, but also that I'm like really listening to you and giving you an opportunity to kind of like talk about things that are important to you. Right. And then also gives me an opportunity to um, showcase my personality at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. If I'm talking to a woman, she says she's got like a huge passion for teaching and I'm like, Oh, like what grade, like why? And she's like, Oh, middle schoolers, blah, blah, blah. Like I'm bring up like, Oh, I've got a 12 year old son. I would kill myself if I had to deal with like 20 of them at a time. Right. It's a funny joke. She knows how difficult it is dealing with the kids. Right. Things to like, yeah. So like that style of conversation will be where I go. There's a lot of like personality traits I have that I think are really good for getting people to open up to me. Um, I'm very non-judgmental. I try to be really emotionally communicative. Like I'm sensitive to certain Non-judgmental topics. is very, very powerful. What? Especially on non-judgmental. Oh yeah, non-judgmental. Yeah. So, yeah, people generally feel like they can share a lot of things with me without me being judgmental about it. Um, I think this is, even zooming out, um, mm-hmm. again, without dogging on the red pill, mm-hmm. uh, especially as regards having sex, if, if you're a person who has a tremendous amount of judgment for women who engage in sex, and you are also a person who is going out trying to have quick sex with women. It's super <laughs> Those dumb. are cross yeah. purposes, mm-hmm. and you you will exude, bleed, or otherwise really have to hide that because some part of you is, you know, I do not respect the women who do the thing that I am hoping that they do. It's real dumb, yeah. <laughs> I want to say, like, half the girls I hooked up with in um, in California, I think, because for a while, when I was in California and I was on Tinder, I, I that was a stage in my life where I didn't want to deal with anybody that knew me online, so I removed all of my fucking online personality shit from there because I just wanted to deal with, like, normies or whatever, but a nice. lot of the girls that I hooked up with were, um, they had, like, no hookups, no one-night stands on their profile, um, and I think they're, like, talking and associating with people. I think it's because people feel really bad about being judged with it. Yeah. Like, there were a couple where, like, and obviously they felt safe they felt comfortable they felt cool and we would do stuff and then afterwards they're like oh i don't think i'm like a slut because i like i know this is like the second time we've seen each other or whatever and i was like no it's cool it doesn't matter um so people like people that are emotionally responsive that are really listening oh um i don't fake anything for conversations like if i'm asking you questions because i have a genuine interest in it and that's going to show through my engagement how, with the- how did you develop or was that just natural to you because that is very difficult for me for a lot of people to to not smooth things over did that come easily to you or was that what do you mean to not smooth things over or to okay to so many people in order to fit in they are not asking or being like how do i show myself they are asking what do you want me to be Mm -hmm. how can i figure that out and then be that for you and i'm curious if that was just something that came easily to you this sense of i don't i don't fake shit um, I mean, one is that like, I have a pretty strong personality. I've got a pretty strong character. Um, I think two is that like, um, I think people like that. I think people like confidence and I think people, especially women like passion. No, it's, like, it's counterproductive to do the thing that I described that a lot yeah. of people do for so, like, sure. Something, this is something I noticed really early in life in like my late teens, like early, early twenties, before I even got like into <laughs> streaming or whatever is it was really, really, really fun. Oh, also 
and this is really lame, but the thing that helped me the most was I was always friends with lots of girls through high school um, because of the people that I hung out with. There was always groups of girls. So I was always really confident and comfortable talking to women. Even though I was short, had horrible acne, I didn't really have much going for me physically, but I was super funny, super charismatic, lots of experience talking to girls. Something I noticed really early on, and I probably employed this more as like a trick than more understanding what was happening. But like, if I'm talking to a girl, and I'm like, oh, cool. Like, what kind of music you listen to? And she says something like, uh, like, oh, like, I really like Newfound Glory. If I say something like, oh, my God, that's like my worst band of all fucking time. I can't believe you like, they have, every album is bad. Name, like, two good songs. If you challenge, especially, like, a pretty girl like that, yeah, yeah. their eyes light up and, like, what do you mean? Like, she's never had somebody push back against her entire life. And the pickup artist sort of understood this. And this was the yeah. concept of a neg, which got I'll, blown out of proportion. Because yeah. it's not an insult. Mm -hmm. It is a disqualifier of, I am just like every other guy trying to say whatever you want Exactly. Yes. But it's, you got to be so careful because a lot of people- not an insult. Yes. That's so important because a lot of people watch me interact with people and they're like, oh, all Destiny does is a neg, 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 yeah. neg. And it's like, no, if you watch conversations I have with people, they're always laughing. They're always mm -hmm. smiling and having fun. And I'm never, like, I would never go on a first date with a girl. Like, I might go on a first date with a girl and say like, I love your dress. My grandma has a tablecloth that looks just like it. That's like <laughs> a joke. But I would never be like, oh my God, that dress makes you look so fat. Yeah, I would never say that, right? Yeah, yeah. Because one is like a, like a funny kind of jokey thing and we can go back and forth. And especially if you've been used to dealing with simpy guys all your life, having somebody that's willing to have a backbone and give a little bit of pushback for some conversation is so much fun. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's never gonna be like, a, I'm trying to hurt you and make you feel bad, Yeah, you know? The big difference that I noticed in myself and other people that I teach or talk to is that uh, the way that men engage in conversation and the way that flirting occurs are just different. Men are often very logical. What time do we do here? I express that I like you. You receive that I like you. You report back to me if you like me in return. Mm -hmm. And for women, it's much more of uh, what is occurring underneath the conversation. And if you can't detect like what you're describing there is somebody might see he's insulting women. That is what they like. Mm -hmm. And what is occurring in my analysis underneath that conversation is he is providing an injection of fun, emotional play into this conversation. And now we can spar mm -hmm. playfully yeah. back and forth, which is a fun thing to do. But then that can be misinterpreted by people who don't understand the subtleties of it, of insult. Yeah, <laughs> because people will see it and they'll be like, I'm like such a nice guy to like so many girls. And this yeah. guy's a fucking asshole. And he gets yeah, like yeah. all the girls. And it's not, and it's like, it's, even the guys that are fuck boys and assholes, and I know a lot of them that do fuck a lot of girls, be like, oh, he's an asshole when he gets to the girls. When you watch them interact with girls, it's similar to what I'm saying. It's generally mm -hmm. not them being really rude or horrible. Yeah. Usually they're, even if they're being like really aggressive or kind of like insulty, it's on stuff that's not that big. Like the word, they might say like, oh, your last boyfriend was a loser or something like that. But it's like in a playful kind of way. If it was like, a, like it'll, it'll be stuff that's not like, you're a fat whore. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Come yeah. fuck me, you know? Yeah. Got it. So, I actually, yeah. um, so earlier today, I had Dr. K. We sitting in your seat right now. This is a wait. He lives around here. No, he was in town for VidCon. Where? And he was earlier today. Earlier today. Fuck! <laughs> I just talked to him. I like that guy so much. He's really cool. You should have told me he was I'm here. Sorry. I come by earlier. I gotta tell you, Fuck. I I loved the I, I I've loved both conversations that I've had with him. It's been it's been really, yeah. Me uh, too. He's a really smart, cool dude. Yeah. We should. Well, he he was actually chatting. This is about mm -hmm. uh, having some sort of creator event. Or, that I was like, dude, sign me up. I would love to, I would love to participate. But it was the broad idea of um, mental, the way that he approached it with me and maybe for everybody else, there's a different thing that draws him to it. But it was like, there's a couple of groups out there. There's the business people that are like optimizing for business and want to like do everything in order and have their 5 a.m. morning routine to make money. And then there's, uh, there's not this uh, holistic group of people who like care about the cause that they're doing coming together to talk about that. And we had chatted about mental health related to both men and women, but focusing, I guess on men. Mm -hmm. um, 
And he was like, yeah, these 19 year olds need help, man. They need help. And I was, I don't know, I was touched by that. Uh -huh. So there's another conversation to have, but I was like, I would love to be a part of something for that. Cause I do see, I've interacted with a handful, the lostness of, I think 19 is a lost age, but there is so much fear around experimenting uh -huh. for the 19 year olds that I encounter. Like there's so many high stakes when I was 19 it wasn't that everything went on. Maybe there was a Facebook, but really there wasn't even at the time. And now it's total fear of sexual harassment, total fear of getting blown up online for doing something wrong. Uh, not certain with uh, what it means to be a man and that sort of stuff. And not that I had it any easier. I'm, do you see the same thing in like a generational struggle? Yeah, the internet stuff makes everything really, makes really, really so, weird. It seems like it makes it really hard to be a kid. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy I had like one foot in each world that I grew up like, I was addicted to video games. I played yeah. so much shit online. I had so many friends online. But I love real life interaction with people. And you didn't have it when you were three. Just download into your head. Probably helps a bit too, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's nothing replaces real life interactions. Mm -hmm. And a lot of human development is is maybe is undermining of the human, human spirit. It seems to be a lot of human development needs to be on rails. Mm. You can't have like, you can't have like a two year old or like a 10 year old and be like, okay, figure life out. Like it's probably good that we're forced into classrooms. with A lot of our peers We're forced to do activities. We're forced to do a few sports. We're forced to do things because by virtue of doing that, you're, you're, you will develop certain, skills. Mm -hmm. That's why I always laugh when like red pillar people talk about like hypergamy and women only go with the high blah, blah, blah people. And it's like, no, the way that it works is people that are around each other, fuck each other. That's why classmates are always fucking. <laughs> if you go into any restaurants, people That's are always fucking. photographers fucking. clean up. Yeah, everybody, <laughs> everybody in every area. Yeah. If men and women are working together long enough, they're going to start fucking. It just always happens. And yeah. I, man, I even had an idea that like, and maybe it would help for the US, that like on Sundays, there should be like a fucking government forced activity for people the ages of like 22 to 26, where you've got to do like a four hour community service project with like yeah. 20 other citizens. Because it would force us to go outside and get active. And it could, would force people to like yeah. socialize with other people. And like, it would just be so healthy to force a social interaction people yeah my uh I, might, I don't know if i mentioned this last time but my my understanding of college it's a lot of things but it's a closed environment where the highest status guy is only 22 years old yeah which is actually really important when you're 18 because mm -hmm. it's like look do i want to open up to everything that's available on an instagram and in my city and all of the people that are above her in the workplace and all this or do i want to have a thing where the coolest guy is a senior brother at beta theta z yeah 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 <laughs> and so it's this condensed smaller sexual marketplace where 18 year old men who are at oftentimes the bottom of the barrel because women might date up, which I do agree with that red pill perspective. Uh, they can have encounters with women that are, you know, happy to be there and not, you know, with mm -hmm. their older brother or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The, the opening up of every marketplace I think has been really bad. It's true politically as well. Mm -hmm. Like if you have like a political tribe, like multiple political tribes in like Des Moines, Iowa, that's probably okay. And it's probably understandable, but it's not good that we have like four political tribes across the entire country. Yeah. Because like it, it becomes the amount of issues that you need buy into just becomes absurd and it makes everything so stupid. So, so hold on. It's not good that we have four political tribes we should have less or more I'm, I'm not understanding like there should be millions more um locally okay like for instance like the fact that everybody in this country right now knows who aoc is and like two percent of people know who they're like fucking governor is probably yeah, yeah. unless you live like in fucking florida or texas or california right mm -hmm. and everybody knows right more people here i would bet my life on this more people know who the governor is of florida than the governor of their own state i know that for a fact yeah right <laughs> um yeah more people know who like abbott newsom like other yeah. people like more people know these people than fucking um than, than their, their own, own. Yeah. yeah 
Uh, and that's, that, I think that's a problem because like when, when, when you ask people like the issues they care about, you know, it's like, I care about like Ukraine and immigration and social health care. And it's like, okay, but like, what about where you live? The stuff that you actually have a big impact on and like, yeah, who cares about that? Right. The, the yeah. federal, the, la the national international is so much cooler mm. and so much more sexy. And I think that's probably bad. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, you're right. I see what you're saying is because the marketplace has opened, mm -hmm. there's these broad conversations that occur. So I was going to ask you the question of. You you have a ton of you're talking about abortion yesterday. You're talking about maybe student loans the next day. What are the issues that matter? And it occurred to me in that response that maybe the issues that matter are very local to you mm -hmm. and are actually smaller than the ones that we can all share and get a ton of views on on any podcast or stream or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that, that there's a misalignment of incentives yeah. when it comes to social media consumption and where your efforts are best spent to make a big impact in your life. Yep. Imagine trying to make like, did you ever do like sports in college or high school or anything? I did intramural. I was not good enough to be honest. Sure, okay. I mean like, <laughs> like imagine you're trying, you have to design like a, a strength and conditioning program mm -hmm. and then like a practice routine, but that one routine has to work with everybody that plays football, soccer, mm -hmm. fencing, uh, and like tennis. Yeah. And trap shooting. <laughs> like that's like what our federal, that's what our national level conversation that's, is, so right? And that's why we talk yeah. about trans for people that have never met a trans person don't need to discuss. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Constantly. Like there like, are people. This isn't, you don't need to care at yeah, all. Yeah, if you're in Arkansas, I don't know yeah. if Leah Thomas is having that big of an impact yes. in your life, but you better believe a lot of them have an opinion it's on it, right? deeply, it's, deeply important to you because this is something that for whatever reason touches on a commonality of the human psyche, even though it might not be important in individual lives. Yeah. So then you just end up, you end up in this weird place where like, girls in California are crying because of like Roe v. Wade. Yeah. And it's like, you're not- I, I shit you not, that happened at the coffee shop. They had, okay, they had yeah. Peace. <laughs> and it's like, bro, you're in California, yeah. okay? You're not gonna lose your right to an abortion. Well, the other thing that I was, <laughs> I mean, I looked at, I was like, wait a second, Mexico, just south of the border, way mm -hmm. closer than the next Republican state from here, mm -hmm. doesn't have the same- access to abortion we've had and that's been the case and you haven't been crying about it every yeah, day yeah why is today different now you can be upset about the shift but the it does seem like i'm social media this is not even an interesting take has just totally uh corrupted people's ability to prioritize and understand their own environment because you are merely reacting to the stories of your friends that week so yeah and the stories are always on week, these yeah can you can you remember this is the thing that i i can't remember what they were three weeks ago or a month ago or mm -hmm. six weeks ago and there's there's almost no accountability to the serious importance except in memes memes seem to be the only thing that capture last weekend i was a pandemic expert <laughs> this week i am a submersible expert yeah. or something like that the amount of people talking about like uh, the tensile strength of carbon fiber weaves. And I was like, bro. It was definitely implosion. Yeah. Oh yeah. 100%. It was because people were posting a picture of like the monitor being screwed into like yeah. the hole. And they're like, oh, it was definitely the screw the closet. It's like, what the fuck? Well, it seems to demonstrate that conversation is not intended to exchange important bits of information around truth, but to establish social bonds and ability to connect. So we talk about the sports team or the politician or the mm -hmm. submarine at the bottom of the thing and our theories on why it happened. We even argue about them, but uh, that is that shouldn't be confused for a sincere attempt to understand what is true about any given thing or make effective decisions in your own life. Yeah, something that I keep stressing to people that a lot of people don't want to accept, and I think you don't have to tell people they don't want to accept it, but it's true. Um, humans are not fundamentally truth-seeking machines. Mm -hmm. We seek like pleasure. And truth generally only works in service to pleasurable sensations. Um, people don't want uncomfortable truths that they can't act on in some way to make more pleasure for their lives or whatever. Did you ever play Metal Gear Solid games? Yeah. 
Do you remember the end of Metal Gear Solid 2 when they talk about like the internet and everything? I don't remember the end. Oh, it was a really interesting conversation. I don't know how they guessed so much, but they're trying to create like this AI that's going to control the world. And at first they're like, you're trying to censor information on the internet. And the AI was like, no, we don't need to censor information. There's already millions of pieces of trite information collecting at accelerated rates. All we need to do is create the context of certain stories so that some information appears more woven together than others, essentially. It was like, I think he said like creating context, not deleting content or whatever, mm. um, which is true, right? Like Today, we have the internet. Like, if, the, if your hypothesis is humans are fundamentally truth-seeking machines, then we should be more informed today about almost every issue than we ever have been. Wikipedia mm-hmm. exists, okay? Back in my day, if you had a debate on, like, is, like, Guam a U.S. territory or is it, like, another country or whatever, you have to open a goddamn Encyclopedia Britannica, okay? You got to go to the bookshelf. You got to open shit. You can Google any answer today. So where are we at today for humans? They're not more intelligent than they've ever been. They're, we're prone to more misinformation than fucking ever before. Um, so it seems like the internet, despite its ability to demonstrate so much truthfulness, that's not how we use it because it's there, but rather truth only works in service to as long as it makes us feel good. And if something else makes you feel better than the truth, you're going with the other thing, you know? Do you think that that is a forever fact of humanity? Is that surmountable? Because it, it implies the world that we live in where if, if everyone was oriented to the truth, conversation and debate would look incredibly different. Disagreements would look incredibly different. We'd be trying to find that as opposed to whatever, assert power and survive. Do you think that that changes at any way or is that just baked no, in? No, you're never, fundamentally your brain is just not built for truth. We've got a ton of ways to understand the world that don't work very well today because of how complicated our world is and our brains just weren't built to sift through this much information. Mm-hmm. Um, like things like pattern recognition and responding to said patterns is like one of the things we do really, really, really well. And that doesn't work in today's society, right? Like if you go back to the wilderness, if you've got three men standing somewhere and a bush is shaking and two guys run away and one dude wants to investigate and the guy gets eaten by a tiger, there's not very much uh, reproductive reward there for being curious yeah, and exploratory. Yeah, yeah. Whereas today, if, um, you know, if, like one or two black people or Indians or women do something wrong to you very quickly. You've established that pattern. I'm not going to interact with these people anymore. Fuck them all. Mm -hmm. They're horrible people. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's like your brain is really good at pattern recognition, which is really positive for learning and acquiring new skills and recognizing patterns. But it also like instills a lot of patterns or projects a lot of patterns that don't accurately exist or explain the world Mm because the world is so much more complicated today. Yeah. I find myself wanting to give an argument in truth defense right now. It's hard, Uh, but yeah. Do you, how do you, do you feel, I don't want to say separate, but different from other people in that? If Obviously, there's some scale of like zero interest and allegiance to the truth and some or more. My idea is that in the long term, the truth is the best thing because it'll serve the interest of most people because you can use truth to derive value from it like it like truth is instrumental in effecting some sort of beneficial end so mm-hmm. like doing good medical research will find good medicines that will heal people or mm-hmm. prolong people's lives or using truth to figure out good policy positions to help people right is a good thing so mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i guess there's, there's also you can there's no other game in town if it is true like you can you can fight against it and form uh, a cabal of so people who resist and you can have safety within that limited world but yeah i don't know i i I'm having increasing faith in, in truth, even the meditative mm-hmm. truths that have nothing to do with what is factually right and wrong, but you know, mm-hmm. the investigation of the self and that kind of stuff I find. Yeah. Med- it's got a benefit. What do you meditate or do any of that? No, and I might start it. I'm yeah. like on a life journey this week, trying to reshuffle a lot of things, in my brain and everything. So oh, tell me about that. Um, I've if had you're comfortable. Yeah. I've grown a lot over the past like 
over the past year, mm-hmm. I've exploded. We went out to eat earlier, and like six people recognized me, like outside this. Do you know? Do you know why you've grown a lot this last year? I mean, I have my my sense of it, but um, the red pill stuff got really big, mm-hmm. so a lot of people see me there. TikTok is also an explosive platform mm-hmm. for recognition. Um, I think those two. Oh, and because um, personally, I think I'm the best person in the world at this. Uh, as I said, of being humble before, um, I'm really good at going to and adapting to other platforms. So I can go to a show where the audience is initially very hostile towards me, yeah. and I can have a challenging but very fun and exciting conversation mm-hmm. where people are glad that I'm there, even if they don't like me. So I've done. So to summarize, a new type of content, that social content that's very popular. Mm-hmm. TikTok, utilizing that as a yeah. platform has gotten really big. And then being able to go to tons of different platforms and be seen in a lot of different places. Yeah. Like before here, I was on like the Impact Theory podcast. Then I went on the Ice Coffee. It's it, th- That's, uh, yeah. I think, a big thing is rather than just being in a political Twitch world, it's yes. now a YouTube, TikTok, mm-hmm. what do you want to talk about yeah. world? And that, and I also, this is a small thing, but you mentioned this, the blue hair is, it's, <laughs> it I'm helps. not, it's. No, no, I agree. Are you going to keep it? I, I think I, it triggers so many people. I feel like I have to at this I point. I think you might have to. It is not that you need it. It is, I think it's really good for- Branding. Branding. I'm it's the blue-haired cuck guy. It's fucking incredible. It's <laughs> fucking, but you're the blue-haired cuck guy that then breaks that mold yeah, exactly, with a yeah. few minutes of watching. That is incredibly, incredibly powerful. When we would teach people, uh, this was it's not even a very important thing, but I lived abroad for a lot, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I spoke Portuguese in Brazil and I thought that was so cool. And I would always instantly want to share my Portuguese. The reaction from people who lived in Brazil was, oh, your Portuguese is okay. I learned, sandbag it for seven minutes. Speak only English, ask them to engage in you with English, and then seven to 10 minutes in, start speaking Portuguese. Way more impressed. Oh my fucking God, you sh- And because you, you allow them to form a box and then you break it. The box that I was in the first time was, this is a foreigner who speaks some Portuguese. I've met that guy before. Uh-huh. But this was, this is a typical American tourist. And then I broke that. And yeah. that created such a lasting impact. And I think it's the same thing with the blue hair, which is like another one of yeah. these. And- I had a conversation about that recently. Yeah, that I, in some ways I like starting from behind here yeah. because I'm like going to be the blue haired guy that's going to be screeching and screaming. Yeah. But uh, in reality, I'm going to bring you very logical, mm-hmm. reasonable arguments. I'm not going to be hyper emotional. Um, that... To go back really quick, because you just brought up something, um, something that really triggers me about red pill is like, you know, mented air, too feminine and blah, 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 blah. Um, In my opinion, you've got like, if your feminine and masculine meters are like 100% masculine and then 100% feminine, that's like the most you can be. Like in, in, in the world today, it feels like from both sides, it's like the best man is like 100% masculine and like 2% feminine. And then like the best women are like 100% feminine or like 2% masculine. In my opinion, I think you need a huge amount of both of these things. Like 100%, 100% masculine 100. and like or like 90% feminine is so big. Yeah. And it's funny when they talk about like for seducing girls, you need to be maximum fucking masculine, masculine, masculine. What you just described having a smattering of or like a wide variety in terms of like the personality you can have or show to people. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Like if you watch my outward appearance um, and people might laugh cause I'm not like a super like giga chatter tall guy, but I have a very masculine demeanor. I'm screaming at people. I'm fighting with people. Uh, I'm very like confident and like shouty or whatever. Like that's like the outward appearance I have. And if somebody knows me that way, but then like this is like such an easy one. If I get into a girl's apartment and I get like her cat or dog to like me, it's fucking over, okay? Because I like- I have to say, you have the best demeanor with dogs. Yeah. The one that came over. I was legitimately surprised. Yeah. But dude, if you have a, if you're in a girl's apartment and your cat is like up here, it's like, yeah, yeah. And you're like, it's over at that yeah. point, right? Or if I get, if I'm allowed to like play showed, piano. I, I gotta talk, it yeah. showed a tremendous amount of emotional understanding. Yeah. We have a rescue dog who 
she barks at people and it can mm-hmm. feel like she's angry at you or aggressive and she's scared. And mm-hmm. she barked at you once, she barked at you twice. I thought that was the end of it because I've seen this happen. And you got down very low, slowly extended your hand and she approached you. I was like, oh, this guy, this guy gets it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he knows that, how this, this game. Yeah. Works. yeah. So it's funny because like I, I, I have like a masculine like demeanor generally in terms of how I approach people and deal with the world. But like my, my really, the big seductive side of me is like my feminine side and not feminine in that like, I'm like, oh, I want to cry, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But in that I have like a high level emotional understanding. I can play piano music for you. I can do things. And it's like, that feels so cool coming from somebody that also has like yeah. all the masculine traits too. And I think of like, that's true even for like, like if you can imagine like James Bond, right? Like a character like that, if that guy were to come into a room like holding his like child or whatever, it would, oh my God, like your heart just would like melt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was just, that, that thing you brought up for the Portuguese thing, if you wait a second to reveal it, mm-hmm. the surprise is like, oh my God, there's like a lot more to you than I initially thought. That's a very effective way of getting people to be very interested in you because yes. you seem to break so many molds when you do that. You know? Yeah, I would I would do that with everything. So if there was a guitar around, don't pick up the guitar. Leave leave the guitar for, you know, a while. A bit, yeah. Don't touch it. Uh-huh. <laughs> whatever you do because, oh, you're the guy with the guitar and you play okay compared to the other guy with the guitar that I saw. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. if you're the guy that whose company I enjoyed mm-hmm. and then you can play the guitar guitar all right <laughs> yeah very cool very 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 cool yes it's a shame that uh, as you're talking that feminism is associated with screeching crying and not like forget masculine or feminine there are healthy virtues and one of them is emotional attunement the capacity mm-hmm. to do that uh, the ability to feel your own emotions to empathize with other people that is a virtue mm-hmm. and that it is associated with being uh, weak weak yeah yeah, and I like being able to have those types of really challenging conversations, or to be a sounding board for somebody else to do that. Requires it's that's a very difficult thing mm-hmm. to do. It requires a high level of emotional attunement, um, and it requires a lot of strength to do. That's very difficult for, yeah. for whether it's opening up to somebody else in a, in a responsible way, or having them open up to you and being like receptive, non judgmental, and being able to provide support in a mm-hmm. meaningful way. That's a really difficult skill to have. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the hardest you know stuff with therapy or psychedelics that I've done is the is the falling apart Mm -hmm. you know the like the being in hurt Mm -hmm. is the hardest part like it's one thing to be in hurt with armor and be tough and like those are not fun situations but being in pain and then being able to take that to empathize with someone else later in your life is yeah it took a tremendous amount of strength to develop that capacity and i think i know that is detected and felt Mm -hmm. and there's a new possibility i understand in conan the barbarian times this maybe wasn't the case but like there is a new possibility for empathetic male leaders mm-hmm. who are emotionally attuned, who are capable of crying, who do cry at you know when they're moved sure. by, by things. Yeah, but it has to be balanced by the masculinity too. I'm not going to tell you can like get shit done. Yeah, and be don't decisive. be like a little baby yeah. pussy. Blah blah blah. Yes. But like this is true of like all the best leaders too. It's funny because like when you talk about like alphas in society or whatever, the biological animal world definition is fairly true, but the way that it's ripped on by these communities is so mm-hmm. false. If you look at like silverback gorillas, like think as strong as a gorilla is, it's not going to fight off three at once. Mm-hmm. An effective leader, like the the gorilla, the leader of the alpha of the pack is also breaking up fights. Did you watch females. the chimp documentary at all? I haven't, no. It, you know, they have to groom each other. And they groom, they have to do a lot of social the grooming. the beta will ask mm-hmm. to do the grooming, mm-hmm. but it's a reciprocal arrangement yes. at that point. Yeah, yeah. And if you think of effective leaders, mm-hmm. effective leaders and companies or whatever, they're not alpha guys that are fucking screaming at people all the mm-hmm. time. They're usually pretty empathetic leaders. They understand the needs of other people around them and they're doing their best to be like a leader that's responsive to the needs of their team. You know, it's not just somebody that's like, oh, fuck you guys, get the work or fucking die, you know? <laughs> Dale Carnegie's book, The How to Win Friends and Influence yeah. People, has a lot of tricks for like motivating people to work hard or whatever. None of them ever are like the seven, what is it, the highly effective <laughs> things of leadership? Like start one, like call all of your employee scum, fire half of them immediately, yeah. tell the other half they don't work hard, they're going to be, you know, like, yeah, it's just, 
Interesting. So but, we yeah. we were on your life uh, reevaluate, and then we got sucked into that. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I just I have a lot of like I've been thinking a lot about like how do I want to navigate the world in terms of like how do I respond to people that are trying to destroy me? Mm-hmm. How do I engage with people that are very politically different than me? Um, how do I manage my own community? Um, how do I manage my expectation? The expectations other communities have of me. Like all of these are questions that um, yeah that I've had that I'm trying to like solidify more. One of them that I know that you had previously got to, which I was going to ask this is a good time, is uh, you moved from your own words, blood sport debate to High employing empathy. empathy. Mm-hmm. What occasioned that? Why? Um, just a lot of reflection on conversations I've had and a lot of like deliberation on like what's like the most effective debate style, what gets people to agree with me more, what seems to be more effective, um, reading a few papers on like how people are putting defense Do mode. Do you feel differently or just doesn't bother you? You're, you're, you're game to... to roll in the mud i'll do well i'm not <laughs> i shouldn't roll in the mud more because it's not good for me but it would be fun to, what is good for you I mean I, i'm curious if your own internal experience like because i know that there's times where it's like i want to fucking yeah let's course. go for each other's jugulars. i always want to can we yeah. please just try to <laughs> do this yeah and uh you know that that i i know the fun of that and absolutely uh, <laughs> but there's a different kind of connection that is available when you go the empathy route. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's like there's a lot of people that look up to me. There's people mm-hmm. in other communities that I yeah. want to look up to me. There's a certain message that I'm trying to get out to as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. And you're making, you have to make very precise deals with the devil when you're trying to figure out how edgy you want to be. Mm-hmm. Did you see my Lex Friedman interview by chance? Yeah, yeah. We, so we like, mentioned it last time, yeah. I haven't found a good replacement for the word retarded. Yeah. Um, and perhaps I I could have lost that interview with Lex Friedman because when he heard me say retarded, he didn't like that word, right? That's just like one example, but like there's a lot of behaviors that like I could engage in and I have to be very careful about like picking like what do I want my battles yeah. to be? So like the blue hair is a good example. Um, how I dress is a good example. Like this, these are the only clothes I have left because I've fucking, okay, so ignore that. But like, so like I've been wearing like dress shoes, pants, nice okay. shirts, blah, blah, blah. So like I've been trying to like oh, be more presentable. Yeah, um, but like before I was thinking like, I like the idea of showing up in like sweatpants and a t-shirt but I'm going to be very intellectual. I'm going to be very formal. I'm going to mm-hmm. do like all of my shit as well. Like I'm going to be, it, it's not just like a random idiot because yeah. of how I'm dressed. Um, but it's like picking. And then you mentioned it earlier with the blue hair, right? Like in some ways I want to break your preconceptions of who I am. But then in other ways, there are going to be some people that never I'm gonna, listen I'm going to gonna me. just go, I'll wear the suit and I'll get the cred that comes with wearing the suit. It's, mm-hmm. it's, there's a, there's a decision to be made. Yes, which is, yeah. Do I want to break this or do I want to ride off the reputation and the assumptions that I know that you will make when I present myself mm-hmm. in a certain way? Yeah. But, but there's like, there's benefits and there's uh, mm-hmm. cons to both sides to yeah. everything. Like, there are going to be some people that respect me so much more because I'm willing to break that rule. And there are going to be some people that I don't even want to fuck with this guy. Why would I take a man with blue hair seriously? Yeah. Right. So it's that the, identifying those trailers is very challenging. Yeah. There's also, I, I do want to get to the other things that you're valuing in your life. There's an incentive, which I don't, it doesn't seem like you're too heavily. Well, maybe you can tell me the drama drives interest you know what i mean so i for mm-hmm. one i was invested in the mld drama i was there <laughs> <laughs> i was i was uh oh man uh, i was i was 100 percent clicking on anything with those three letters in it i was fascinated by the whole thing uh and i'm curious if you've thought about that because there is certainly a quick reward in terms of notoriety and popularity and money for the more drama filled things 
that you might engage I love with. drama. I'm not yeah. above covering drama. Okay. There's drama so that's, that's like really that's, funny. Yeah, that's absolutely. <laughs> but not even because the money's there. I mean, it is, but it's just it's really entertaining. Like, yeah. Drama is like the human aspect to everything. Like okay. everybody, people act like they're above drama. Everybody loves drama. Mm-hmm. Everybody does. Because it's because you can relate to it directly, right? Mm-hmm. You can see it direct, like you know what relationships are like, you know what fighting is like, and that's yeah. just like really exciting. So yeah, I'll cover it. Um, I just have to be careful how I cover things. Like I've got a lot of responsibility in terms of not getting information wrong. I've done that in the past. Um, I can't dogpile too hard. It's got to be people that are like deserving of it, yeah. and I need to move on in an appropriate time. So I just have to be careful how I do it. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not like avoiding it or anything. Yeah. Is there any other stuff that was in this like self-reflective evaluation that you are thinking about? Um. No, just that. Sometimes I worry about something that I've thought about a lot is I've I've had this desire to restructure my life a lot to have a lot more discipline. Um, like I've been going to the gym pretty consistently for quite a while now. Um, I've been like, my sleep has been like pretty good for quite a while now, but I still feel like there are more things where it's like, I could actually carve out like way more time in my day. Like I worry sometimes that I'm probably floating by because like in school, I had this really big problem where I'm a really good reader and I'm naturally like pretty bright. I can assimilate information pretty fast. I, I should have been like a 4.0 student. I should have like fucking blown away everything. But I was like, a like 2.9 or 3.1 student, but man, my grade was carried heavily because AP classes are all super weighted heavily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just because I hate doing homework and shit. And like, I look at like what I do online sometimes and I'm like, oh, you know, like I blow some people away in debates. Like I spent like a couple weeks studying like Ukraine and Russia to get a lot of history here. Uh, like I could do so much more. I always see that where it's like, I could do something like, should I really be playing I games as much? Yeah. I should I really homework. be like, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's an interesting question. Yeah, it's hard to figure out what's what, like, yeah. Yeah. I guess if there's a cause or a thing that speaks to you, then then there's a good reason to do your homework. And if there's not, mm-hmm. why the f- don't do your homework. <laughs> yeah, but I could I could always find more, right? Yeah. Like there are so many more things I could do. Like I wanted to bring out like canvassers to um, the last runoff election in Georgia. And I did like one call to action and I got 350 canvassers to show yeah. up to a hotel. Yeah, and that was like, we were the largest canvassing operation of the state for that weekend. Like, So you could be far. more politically active and mobilize. Yeah, or socially audience. active or or anything. I could probably, yeah, yeah. So I just don't know. Sometimes I wonder, because like I have like a gift in terms of what I do and I've worked hard at it. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, I could do more. Could I be doing so much more? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things, well, say so on that, how, I, guess, I don't know, do you want to do more? Um, I want to, feel fulfillment mm-hmm. and generally for most of my life I have um, but I just I kind of like look at the world around me and I kind of like think of things I watch movies and play video games mm-hmm. and I kind of think of like the roles of protagonists and things or whatever mm-hmm. and it's just like I feel like if I could do more like don't I kind of owe it to mm-hmm. myself and the world to do that you know like well, is it enough to just yeah. like sit back and coast on this I don't know I feel that yeah the other thing that I wonder not that is that uh, you uh, you are working so often, and your work is, uh, there's a lot of it's enjoyable, you're playing video games. The perspective, it's tough to get perspective when you're so working so consistently, Mm -hmm. even this And there's not like, it's hard to, because I don't have like any rubric by which to compare myself, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's not like I'm like- the previous generation of streamers that we're gonna look at for, you know. Or even modern day, like I don't know people that like jump onto so many different platforms and talk to people. Like I don't have anybody to compare myself to, to like, if I had like other people and I was like the Mm -hmm. 50th percentile, I'd be like, okay, we need to crank this shit up, So like a Voltaire or somebody back who used to like go to different cafes and talk Mm -hmm. to people, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Um, I feel that too. There's. I don't think it's simply, in your case, I understand exactly what you're saying, which is there's not a lot of people that have gone on a similar path before. But also, I have a strong, there's like not a lot of connection I have to an older generation of people that I could look up to. I have my authors, I have my people that I watch, but there's no one, 
I don't know, that I can see and interact with and be like, oh, that life is, there's something in that that, mm-hmm. that speaks to me. And I think that's true of a lot of people as well. There's not mentors in that sort of way, just yeah. given the way that we structure ourselves socially. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, I see in your comments that I wonder as well is, have you asked yourself the question of, do I want to restructure how many bridge burnings <laughs> I have in in my circle of, mm-hmm. I guess, I don't know if they're friends at this point or if they're work how we relate to people is very tough. That's community management and everything is something I've thought about a lot too. Um, I have a pretty unique way that I engage with my community. Pretty sure I have one of the most, I know I have like, for instance, I have the most active subreddit of any individual or entity like on the, on all of Reddit. No streamer. How, how did that happen? Because I engage with my community a lot because I hate cloudy bullshit networking, whatever. Like a lot of my friends and people have come up through my community, like arguably Hassan, definitely Vosh. Like these are people that came up through my kind of like world that I like platformed and like, like that kind of stuff is really fun for me. Like the connection is more genuine. It's more Mm -hmm. entertaining. Like I love my chatters and I love my community and I participate a lot in it. So, and then I care a lot for it. So these things grow and, and I'm very independent. So everything I grow is like me and my community. It's not like, oh, join us. We're part of League of Legends or join us. We're part of this pre-existing community. All of it is kind of like grown on my own. So as a result, the engagement that I have on everything is really, really, really high. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then I wonder like when I engage with people, if my community doesn't like them sometimes, obviously I run into problems there where people mm-hmm. feel like they're getting attacked too much. So I don't know if I should moderate my community more strictly. Some people say that I'm too harsh to ban for criticism. I don't think I do. I think I ban people that are more just like not being constructive. But then sometimes I wonder, like for instance, I ban like pretty quickly when I see non-constructive shit, but I unban very quickly. If somebody's like, please unban me, I'm like, okay, no. if you care to email me for it, you probably care enough to participate, yeah. so I'll unban you. With the people you've talked to, and so you've got, mm-hmm. you know, your, your Hassans, your Voshes, your Mr. Girls, your whatever, there's a list of people that you felt close to at one point and now no longer do. Have you been able to identify other behaviors in yourself, patterns in the people that are coming up? Or do you just not care that you're close and that there's a falling um, out? It's different for everybody. It's something that's so hard for me. I think that like somewhere deep inside me, I'm like relatively Machiavellian. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to consider the pros and cons of like a lot of my social interactions. I'm not going to be self-destructive towards somebody. And I kind of, we, everybody has this problem. And even I thought I was above it at one point, but I'm not, nobody's above this. We project our internal mental schema onto other people relentlessly. So there's been a lot of people I'm thinking like, I gave this person their whole career. They have so much to gain by being, I wouldn't do. Yeah. I would never burn it. There's no way. And like they do. And I'm like, Oh, really? (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's been really hard to manage other people's expectations. I mean, like I try to do a better job at like understanding like what is this person here for? What are they going mm-hmm. after? And to try to like, I'm trying to do like this, like, like give me like Bayesian probabilities on the chance of this person like turning. <laughs> so you've got, and, hopefully you could crowdsource it. <laughs> yeah, I've got like my, here's my prior assumptions. I'm going to update based on behaviors I see it. I can kind of have a more realistic, realistic expectation, yeah. but um, yeah, it's difficult. But then there's also like, I had this conversation earlier with a friend where it's like, I am a very forgiving person. I'm pretty non-judgmental. I usually understand why. Like, I know, like, I understand why, like, Vosh hates me. I understand why his son doesn't like me. Like, I understand why. Um, so it's like, do I, I'm, I'm generally pretty forgiving. Is there, like, a point where it's, like, so much forgiveness that, one, I look weak because now I'm letting people stab me in the back, and then, two, people are more akin to, like, backstabbing in the future because they don't get away with it, or does it communicate a lot of strength that I can like deal with people like being shitty to me and I can keep moving forward and I don't change the way that I engage with people. I'm still willing to give people chances and that's really unique on my platform. Um, that's another balancing act that I'm like still trying to figure out. There's a lot outside of optics. Do you have, are you personally upset at the bridge burnings though? 
my whole lived experience, my expectations of people in general are rock bottom. So okay. no, it's very rare that something personally affects me. That's almost And, and I think that's the disconnect that I see in the comments with you, which is they're like, doesn't he see that this is coming? And I, th- I don't think he cares. Yeah, like generally, there are a lot of people <laughs> I came around that are like super good content. And I know they're like it's probably going to be exposed in the future. Sometimes not in the ways that I think, but yeah. No, like it's not, very rarely will it personally. Like if my, you know, if like a significant other, like yes, a family course, member would like shit on me, then I would probably feel bad, but yeah. Yeah. You're also in a position now, which I mean, again, if it doesn't, if it's not a tremendous bother where you are probably for your upswing, one of the most available people, you just did two podcasts. You came on this one when we didn't have a ton of things and we're still small. Like you make yourself incredibly available to small content creators. And I think you deserve, I don't know if the credit just recognition at the Mm -hmm. very least for that, that creates a dynamic where, uh, it's easy to for people to hop on you, uh-huh. you know, and it's easy to see you as a ticket. And when you're a ticket, well, okay, let me first get the gain the price of admission. And then let me get a boost on my way out, which is drama. And so there's this, I don't know that, that dynamic seems to uh, be very possible and present in. Yeah, in definitely. Way. It is possible. I wish everybody says like girls, like fuck people for clout. Can I, I wish I just had those people. Okay? <laughs> fuck me for clout. I'll host your fucking stream, but it's not that it's always like crazy fucking <laughs> lunatic people that are, I don't know why I can't just do the normal slub shit, but no. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I understand that there's that thing too. People might see there to be something to gain. But like yeah. I'll only associate with somebody for so long if they're like, they have to be interesting, you know? Yes. If they're interesting, I'll associate with you. That like seems to be when I when I go, what's, what's going on here? Because mm-hmm. you do things that I wouldn't do. It's I think you just yeah, it's fun, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. You enjoy the engagement of it and then it separates and you don't have the pain that I might feel in sure. that in that split. So it's like this mm-hmm. this makes this makes sense. Um there's a number of other random topics that I wanted to touch on, but mm-hmm. one of them that I thought would come up for today that hasn't is the Supreme Court is going to rule on student loans and I hadn't heard yet your moral perspective on loan forgiveness and I'm curious. I'm generally not in favor of it because students People that graduate degrees are the biggest like income winners in society. The average earnings between a bachelor's degree in high school is a million dollars over a lifetime. It's about twenty thousand a year, um, an average earning difference. Um, even if you don't get a job in your specialty, you're still often compensated higher for your degree. Uh, so, like, for, when all of that comes together, like, I'm just not too huge. I'm like, oh, student loans, like, we got to get them forgiven. Like, you can pay your loans back, you're fine. Like, as long as you graduate with a degree, you're probably gonna. Um, you, you're, you're getting compensated for the degree. Yeah. Um, I know that people have a lot of problems with affordability of stuff nowadays. I don't think that has to do with like student loans or anything. I think that has to do with cost of living in cities is exploding because we have a really hard time building more houses or apartments in this country. But, um, yeah, like on a moral level, I mean, like if they forgive them, it's not like I'm, I hate it. It's just, yeah. it's not the worst thing in the world, but like, I just don't have a very strong opinion on it. Like, yeah. Yeah. My sense is why this particular form of debt over another form of debt? Why not let's do car debt because people had to get cars. Or credit card debt for like poor credit card debt because she bought a bunch of Gucci. Like why, why this one? You made Mm -hmm. a decision that is not financially feasible and this particular group is getting selected and to you. That are already like, they're already some of the winners. If if it was like, this is, we're going to cancel the debt for immigrants who came here and had to get relocation costs. I'd be more amenable to that, even at the same net, Price, mm-hmm. price tag. Uh, yeah, so, that's generally how I feel, but yeah. Yeah, and it's also, they call it debt forgiveness. It feels like debt reassignment is a more accurate. Depending on how you view monetary policy, sure, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. eventually we have to pay it, yeah. So you do, you talk about a lot of stuff. What do you want to be doing more of or talking about? What, should, what, where is interesting to you these data-driven days? Data-driven conversations are fun for me. Okay. I want to do more data-driven conversations. That formal debate I had with Rolo and mm-hmm. Sartain where I completely and totally dismantled, dismembered, so and annihilated. So it's fun for you to like, do the research, yeah, show and come up. back and to destroy this man's <laughs> life's work. Five books obliterated in 48 hours of research. That type of stuff is like very fun for me. Um, Has that had the impact of 
what you said, destroying his life's work, or has there been any sort of fallout? Or do you, do you feel like there's a movement from your appearances on Fresh and Fit and on Red Pill things away from that? I think sphere? in a very broad sense, yes. A lot of it is like kind of crumbling. I don't know uh-huh. if it's just because of me, though. It's because of characters like MLD and that Donovan Sharp and mm-hmm. Andrew and Tristan Tate moving away from Red Pill stuff. Mm-hmm. So I actually yeah. think that's one of the big ones is that when I look at Red Pill, mm-hmm. Gosh, I don't, I don't, I'm not like you. I'm not trying to call particular people out though. I <laughs> Sure. Uh, it's a lot of, which I'm sure like people that I don't think are succeeding in the way that they'd like to report. No, most to of our fucking con artists. With, I don't think these guys with, are as rich as they say. Yes. They pay 35 year old girls to be on their boats and they say they've lured 22 year old college girls into yes. their fucking web. Like it's a, a lot very of academic bullshit. description. And then sometimes a coaching business attached to it. Yeah. Um, it's First, mostly level marketing. It's all like Amway, basically. Yeah. These guys are just, these guys are all wealthy because they sell coaching programs, not because they've actually done any of the work. Mm-hmm. You know? And and it's often, like you said, not the amount of money, like I, I've seen this, and this occurs in every area of internet marketing, but the way that people can technically tell the truth and lie about shit in internet is incredible. So you could be a best-selling author by putting your book on Amazon, making it free for a minute. It goes Amazon bestseller, and then you rightfully claim that you're an Amazon bestseller, but sure. you've never done anything. Yeah. You can claim you've got a million dollar business because you made X amount of money in one day and you multiply that by 365 and say, well, if I had my best day every day, then that would be a million dollar sure. revenue business. Never mind that it's got 90%. Or you sold 1% cost. to one yeah. friend for like a thousand dollars or yes. something. It's like, well, my valuation. My valuation. Technically, yeah. Yes. So this is an eight figure business, actually. It's sure, seven yeah. figures of eight figure business. Um, but then Andrew and Tristan Tate come out and I think, uh, let's leave aside the criminality issue and the issue of morality are uh, successful with women mm-hmm. do have a tremendous amount of money and say the shit is lame. <laughs> it's like, I think that's one of the things that contributes uh, at least when I look at it, I go, Oh, this is, this guy is just so much more what other people are pretending to be. Yeah. And I think that's probably why he's attractive because, and now they're like he, disowning he the, he is stuff, the yeah. thing like it or not. Mm-hmm. The, and I, and I, when I look at him, I go, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of adolescent energy in the red pill stuff. And then Mm -hmm. Andrew Tate comes up and it's, it's man energy at that point. I don't know if that resonates at all with you. Yeah. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously I have my problems with them, even aside from the criminality, but yeah, I mean like on a surface level, it's a very attractive lifestyle and there's a lot of like hallmarkers of success there. Money, girls, huge property, freedom, like physicality. Yeah, of course. Got it. So you're looking to do more data-driven conversations. Any particular topic, or are you just like going deep? And I hope politically we get more interesting than just infinite trans discourse all over the country. Republicans need the the fight between DeSantis or the establishment Republicans, and then the MAGA heads, the Trumples. It's going to be very interesting. Do you think there's a fight to be? Oh had? yeah, it's really? going to be the destruction maybe of the Republican Party. Because there is a group of people willing to follow Trump off the end of the earth. My parents would would follow Trump to independent voting. And well, I'm saying I don't even know if there's enough establishment Republicans at this Well, point. <laughs> Fox News is going to be very geared towards establishment. They let go of Tucker Carlson. They got absolutely destroyed yeah. on that um, Dominion lawsuit. Yep. Um, and the Daily Wire has positioned itself arguably as being more pro-establishment than pro-Trump. Um, so that, so you've got the mainstream media and the alternative conservative media that are way more mainstream than Trump. And I don't know where Republican leadership lawmakers, I don't know how they're going to align themselves. They're probably going to wait to see which way the wind blows, but (laughs) Trump is now staring down the barrel of a very real federal indictment that is almost for sure going to get him completely fucked. Um, the New York state one is whatever the federal one is unbelievable, um, so who, yeah, who, for the documents, cause I know there's a yeah. number of indictments. Okay. Yeah. The document it's that classified information stuff was unreal. Um, so 
who knows? That's like, I, I don't know how that's going to play out, but it's going to be like civil war in the Republican Party trying to figure it out. I would be surprised if uh, I've watched DeSantis and he's he's not the guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, listening to him, watching him go around and shake people's hands. Yeah. I'll give it for Trump. I hate him on almost every topic, but he's really personal. He could do it. He could, do, really he could do the thing. And I thought it was DeSantis when I heard some of the rhetoric and the way he's positioning himself. I was like, oh, this is savvy strat- strategy. And then I saw him speak. I was like, oh, no. He had yeah. to look for in photos, but yeah. this, this is not the guy. Hello, guys. Today, <laughs> I'm going to talk about why I'm the best leader. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Watching him as opposed to Trump's like, yeah, come here. Give me a hug. You know? yeah. Yeah. So either jail stops Trump. Won't stop it. You can run from jail. <laughs> that would be fucking wild. And Republicans should support him too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I mean, you got to vote for him. That's the only way he's getting out. Yeah. <laughs> There's an interesting, um, somebody emailed me this academic paper recently. It was very interesting. Uh, talked about the difference between an, uh, an echo chamber versus an epistemic bubble. Mm-hmm. That an epistemic bubble, you can argue that people are kind of trapped in an area where they only get like a certain type of news, right? They only see one type of thing. For people in an epistemic bubble, you can give them more information and they go, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, cool. That's interesting. I never knew that before. Then you've got people in echo chambers. The difference between an echo chamber and an epistemic bubble is people in an echo chamber, they get all of their information from one source, but they actively invalidate and discredit other voices around them. Mm-hmm. So with an echo chamber, sometimes giving them information from the outside is does the opposite and it reinforces their perspective on things. So for Trump going to jail. For yeah. Trump, there's going to be some people that are like, this is too much for me. But for his core fans, it's making them stronger and stronger. Like, of course, the deep state is after him. Of course, more indictments are coming. Of course, the FBI said this. Of course, the DOJ said this. It's all making sense, right? For them, every attack on him further solidifies their opinion that there's a group of deep state actors trying to take him down. And he's the only one that can stand between them and the American public. I don't think I've asked you this or heard you talk about it. Why why the cult of personality around him? Because his core and who he has been, which is a rich real estate mogul who was, I think, Democrat most mm-hmm. of his life. Yeah, he's a New York, yeah. And the core, who is not that, why the unflinching loyalty? Populism is a hell of a drug. He's so, super anti-establishment, was willing to fight the establishment, tell you how much he hated it all, and people followed him. He's just like, yeah. You think you think it comes down to um, policy positions and anti-establishment? Not policy, anti-establishment. Anti-establishmentism is like... Um, that's like a state of mind. So, well, like, it's not a way exactly, of being. but like uh, Alex Jones or yeah. Russell, Russell Brand to a degree. Red not, pill, people talk about yeah. the matrix, the deep state. Yeah, like mm-hmm. this kind of idea. Policy positions with Trump never really matter. And policy positions, I don't even think he was like that conservative compared to other people. Um, but he very much is anti-establishment and that's uh-huh. what people gravitated towards. Yeah, because I'm curious, what like what is the one thing Trump, because there have been times where he'll say something in the audience booze, but it's like on the establishment position. Like for instance, he really wants credit for the vaccine. Yeah, because he did warp speed that through, and he said it's not so bad. And they were so. And Mm -hmm. versus, he can move his base on so much policy. Like you know, I I I even get the sense that the border with Mexico is not that important. That was like a that was a random thing that that he was able to drum up support around. But there are things where it's like we support we support Trump, but. You can't move from this position. I guess what you're saying is, yeah, it's this anti-establishment thing, which the vaccine became. Yeah, doing what you're not of. supposed to. So we pull out of the treaty with Iran because they're yeah. a horrible, evil power that might that's going to pursue nukes anyway. But then we get like buddy buddy with North Korea. Yeah. And what like policy world does that make sense, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, we we want to quit wars in the Middle East and get out of there because we don't deserve to be there. But we're also going to provoke the entire Middle East by moving Jerusalem or yeah. the embassy to Jerusalem. Like, how does that make sense? It only makes sense through the lens of like. What are they telling you not to do? Yes. Do the opposite or do that. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, this is stupid. Ooh. Well, yeah, that there's like a third of the American populace that has that level of distrust, which is 
not unearned in, mm-hmm. in some ways. That's to some extent, yeah. Mm-hmm. Public policy people, public officials, academic officials, or academic institutions need to do better jobs at communicating what they're doing well and how they're helping people. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was all the questions that I had. Is there anything else that uh, we should talk about? I know you've had a ton of podcasts today. Um, no, I don't know. What do you? What's your like goal with your show? What do you try to do here? That's a really good question. Um, I'm also in a reflective thing. I'm. I admire what you have, which is you show up as you, mm-hmm. and you get to do you. There's a handful of people, not a lot, like Joe Rogan has that. You mm-hmm. have that, and then there's other people who like get to be their party, get to be their thing. I've gotten to be social skills for a long time, which is an aspect of what I'm interested in. But I'm mm-hmm. trying to, um, selfishly, I would love to to do all the different parts of me that I like, but I don't know that the audience wants that. So like, it's I have, so hard, it's so fucking hard. It and takes it's a long so time. yeah, it's scary too. Yeah, because when you it's kind of like learning a bad habit. When you break a bad habit, the reason why bad habits are so hard to break is because bad habits are generally really effective up to a point. Sometimes a bad habit is even more effective up to a point. But to break the habit, you have to usually regress. There's a dip. Then come back mm-hmm. and then build past yep. where you were before. And so I see this as like, oh, I got to eat lower views. Yep. I got to eat less success. And people complaining, I like, gotta, why are you doing mm-hmm. this shit? Like, can't you just talk about this? Blah, and then blah, every blah. now and then I talk about that and it's, we're here with You're you. rewarded. Yeah. Oh my God, we're back. It's been so long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did the same when I was, because when I first started streaming, I was a StarCraft streamer. That's what people yeah. kind of watched me for. And then I had like, um, in my mind, in my business strategy, there were like three buckets of viewers that I had. The third bucket was, if I'm streaming and something really exciting is happening, people are coming in because yeah. they want to see the drama. I want to get people from that third bucket into the second bucket. And the second bucket is, I am a really good and funny StarCraft 2 player. Mm-hmm. Anytime I play StarCraft 2, I want you to watch me for that because you want to be serious. So if you're coming in randomly and I'm like playing, you want to, I want you to stay for the game, right? That's like getting mm-hmm. them to my second bucket. But then second bucket to first bucket, first bucket is, I'm a really cool, entertaining, unique person and I want you to stay for me even when I'm not playing StarCraft. So converting people from bucket three to two to one was always like the goal for everything because I want eventually you to be uh, endeared by me personally so that I have the opportunity and flexibility to branch out to do other things yep. and you kind of follow me on that journey, yeah. That's, I the numbers lie on YouTube. And you know what I mean? Because you can get a million views of one bucket or a million views of a different bucket. And you see someone like um, Moist Critical mm-hmm. who every single day can sit in front of his camera, speak extemporaneously, I think for a handful of minutes and draw on those, that's, I mean, he does talk about topical issues. It's a lot of bucket three, but there's a tremendous amount of bucket two. It's a lot of bucket one. Oh, yeah. It's because people watch Charlie almost no matter what he does. Yeah, he's a really, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so that is, uh, and there's, of course, drawbacks with that, which is like, well, now you're the product. Like, you want to, you want to step out of the business? No, they're not here for Mm -hmm. an ideology or a thing that you can train someone else in. They're here for you. But what I'm trying to do uh, broadly is, um, one separate channel. I got the D&D set back here, (laughs) which is. What edition you're playing? Fifth. Fifth edition. What a casual loser. Oh my God. How is it having every single class be the exact same? Oh, you think so? Wow. Oh, no. Good I, for you. Oh, Battlemaster <laughs> Fighter. Wow, dude. Really unique. Good for you. Human. Oh, oh, you did Variant Human for the extra feet. Variant for the dude. feet, baby. Oh, wow. So creative. No, I'm just fucking with you. I played second edition and fifth edition. It really depends on what you want to do. Fifth edition can be super fun. Yeah. Second edition can be fun if you want to like, I'm very autistic. So like arguing about like, we hold need on. To get down to the- I've got a 30 degree yeah. angle to this guy and I'm holding a shirt in my right hand. You said that guy was left handed. I should get a plus one to defense on this. Okay. Earlier, the wind was blowing in a certain direction. Do they really have 300 for- Yeah. 
Autism it, on demand. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to play second edition <laughs> like that. But fifth edition is fun too. And it's like, I want to role play. I want to get into battles That's and clean up fun. Yeah. I don't want to spend two hours opening the second edition book to find out what are the rules when yeah. a dragon is attacked from behind by a thief that knows backstab, but doesn't have the feet and like beastery. Or like, yeah. So yeah, fifth edition can be lots of fun too. That's really exciting. I'm excited for you. It's DNA yeah. super fun. No, we've released a handful of episodes and it mm -hmm. is. It's like, this is my one bucket, which isn't that large. There's not that many people who have ever wanted to do just what I do. They want primarily social skills, secondarily my analytical brain, and mm -hmm. lastly, any other shit that sure. I'm interested in. Um, so it's way small, but uh, so satisfying. I don't know. There's something about storytelling that I am very drawn to. I feel like there's a way to be incredibly honest. I see what actors get into through acting. You can explore different elements of the human condition and, and do it. So I enjoy the role-playing aspect of it a lot. So we got that. And then with this, the conversation with Dr. K and stuff around it, I see with the red pill conversation, there's, um, I think there's not a lot of great role models <laughs> out there. Yeah. And it's, I think I could do that. I think I still need to learn a lot about becoming that person mm -hmm. and embodying it. But when I looked, I like you, we laughed a little, or you laughed a little Jordan Peterson. I think what he has provided people is such a valuable fundamental psychological base of like dad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Here, His psychology was really yes, good. Yes, here's dad. I she would never talk about politics mm -hmm. or history. <laughs> I understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. But no, his, his I'm not even, his psychology wasn't even good. It was generally pretty insightful. Like mm -hmm. there were things that he talked about. I was like, that's a really good point. Or he gave names to a lot of things that I was like, it, like he does a whole thing on like integrating your shadow, yes. which was something that took me a long well, his time. His Jungian stuff is Yeah, there's fantastic. a lot of good stuff there. I just wish you could fucking... We don't, I don't need to hear him. I don't need his opinions on Elliot Page. Okay? Yeah, I, I, so where, yeah. I, where I agree is there was that moment in his arc where it was there was the up yours woke moralists, the Elliot Page, and the Sports Illustrated Twitter. And, yeah. and I was like, I, I lost him connection. like 30 Joker pictures. Like, yeah. bro, are you okay? <laughs> so generally him on Twitter, I'm not a big fan of, but I, I've seen his podcast recently. I feel like he's come back to areas that I like him. And I, the way that he explored politics, I find him oftentimes good faith and... Uh, sincere in his approach to the world though of course he's got i think different assumptions at the base uh -huh. than, than i might but uh the power of what he did was i think he like he spoke to human fundamentals and really did provide a, a lot of people not necessarily all in my audience but people that were really struggling uh -huh. with the basics that meant so much to them and that uh I wonder if I could do something like that, but less, I wouldn't want to do it. No, no shade, shade. Uh, the ba that was a little too basic for me, like stand up straight with your shoulders back stuff. I would mm -hmm. want to talk like you did. And like he does sometimes about the shadow, about, sure. uh, the emotional intelligence thing that we're talking about, about what are the appropriate, the appropriate elements of femininity to incorporate as mm -hmm. a man. And, uh, I haven't made it that yet. I'm just kind of all over the place, but I think that's the direction that I that I might be headed. It's so hard because a lot of that, especially social skills and everything, like at one point in time, like I was pretty autistic in terms of trying to figure out like what do people like, what don't people like, mm -hmm. because so much of my stuff is so off the norm. But now like so much of it is like very natural to me. It gets very hard sometimes to describe like what is exactly going on here. Like why did you feel like, people ask me, why did you feel like it was appropriate to make that really edgy joke mm -hmm. to that woman? And why does she like that particular joke? Um, and it's like, fuck, I don't know. Like we talked about this. I just had a feeling that this would probably be like a good, mm -hmm. but like why exactly? 
Um, I don't know. Like, why did I find that it was appropriate to like joke about her boobs in this particular moment when normally like I would never like, why would I tell like some girls where it's like, are you sure you want to stay in a hotel with me? There's like a 75% chance to streamer. I might rape you. Right. Yeah, yeah. Why would I make some of these jokes? Yeah. And sometimes not completely other times. And at some point it's like really hard. It's like, I don't know. Like I spent so many time talking to people that I have like a very good intuitive sense now of like yeah. what's okay and what's not okay. And yeah. And it's hard. Those upper level, I understand like, um, and again, no shade and not even any shade. When I coached StarCraft II, because I gave lessons for a while, um, if you want to be a good coach in anything, then the beginning is always, always, always in every discipline going to be the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have the fundamentals, you don't deserve to work on anything else and you won't be able to work on anything else. So I understand the whole like stand up straight, yeah. like have good posture. Um, it changes the way you carry yourself through the world. Because if you can't do that, you're, there's no hope for you in terms yeah. of like one of the saddest things I saw in that big fresh and fit episode was like Myron asked the audience how many of you guys are like single like 90% of the audience raised their hand and then he asked like how many of you guys want to have like multiple girlfriends and like 80% of the audience raised their hand and I'm like <laughs> guys holy shit well, you know, start with honesty about no, what I you know, want. If but you I'm aim like, damn, we got to land in the stars or something. We got like a lot that. of work here. Okay, <laughs> let's get one girlfriend first. You know, it's like, geez, but yeah, yeah, it's it's fun to do. I hope I hope you. It would be interesting to see you do that because working at like actually putting pen to paper and figure out exactly how some of these more abstract things work because there's so much variability and like everything like integrating your shadow. Yes, like in some ways you can be very aggressive and offensive, but in other ways you can incorporate that in yep. really good ways. In some ways you can be like very pushy creepy and you don't want to incorporate any of that mm -hmm. you know it's very hard yeah and so this is i think like any discipline is the beginning you can write a book about it's so easy like mm -hmm. the basics of starcraft 2 are the same for everybody i don't care who you are operate on this as mm -hmm. you get to higher levels of any discipline what you were just talking about with women what's the vibe you know like there there's this intuitive sense of guidance that i can no longer give prescriptive statements that you can follow mm -hmm. past a certain point because they're the diminishing returns just get too crappy yeah, and, and it becomes so precise. Yes. like well, I, and, and the person who needs that precision is not ready for that level of advice. This I experienced in dating is like, when should I kiss a girl? I can give you broad, broad advice, mm -hmm. but at the point where I have to get so precise and you require that, it's like, look, we got we to go back to a different fundamental of, mm -hmm. or it's can like, you feel the situation? Yeah. And how do I describe, I don't know. You, you <laughs> yeah. Or you've got like a particular, like let's watch a whole video and I can give you exact yes. analysis. One of the really interesting things about like um, for music, if you're ever like in a master class, um, if somebody comes up, the better they play, you've got so much more critique for them. Mm -hmm. If a beginner player comes up and they go, doo, 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 then yeah. you're like, okay, that was a good try. <laughs> um, practice more. Remember breath support yes. is really important. Yeah. Slow the tempo down mm -hmm. if you can't play at that level and you'll do great, right? But if a really advanced player comes up, you're like, okay, Measure 12, yeah. like look at the way that you tie these two nuts together. There's so much we can do. Uh, the, you know, your vibrato here can be so much, like you can start to get into so much more precise stuff, but it's so much more personalized. Mm -hmm. um, and then like you said, like for a low level player, like you don't worry about this critique, like just get the fundamentals down first, you know, but. And that scales, low level scales so scales much so easier. Well, yeah. And the upper levels, we need to work one-on-one. -on -one more precise. For you to almost, get any better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it, this is one-on-one -on -one or small group at best. Yeah. And so I haven't sorted that out, but I know that I am more drawn. I could still think I could make content on it, but uh, mm -hmm. you mentioned the shadow. That is, that's advanced stuff for mm -hmm. a lot of people. All the things that you are sure you are not. <laughs> yeah. There's value to exploring them, integrating that, and, uh, you know, archetypal work, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff through therapy and psychedelics that, is, that has come. Mm -hmm. I'd love to do that. And I think the other challenge is, 
once you get this, uh, the, the first name of my business was Kick-Ass Academy and people thought it was a dojo for like fighting. And, then, <laughs> uh, and yeah, okay. so it, we had to change it. And when we changed it, nothing else changed in the business except the name Charisma on Command and instantly views to the website tripled. Sure. And so there's this, how do you describe it such that it is understandable when you're talking about a new thing? And 10 years ago, the idea of charisma, which has now become Riz, was, <laughs> it, was, it was this weird Greek word that people really didn't use. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't take credit for Riz, but like we made it a thing in our niche on YouTube. And mm-hmm. so there's also this marketing question of how do you describe what you are in a way that is descriptive and approachable to someone who has never seen it such that they can, oh, you know, he does that. I don't know. He does uh, mature masculine or he does, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm thinking about that as well because it's a, you know, there's a whole suite of things that I would love to. Yeah, that's really difficult too. Like in, in a lot of ways, because um, I've thought about similar stuff and that like in some ways, like I, I want to be a role model for like thought processes, mm-hmm. but I do a lot of stuff off the norm. I don't want to be a role model in other ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like open relationship style. I don't know if everybody yeah. should do that. I don't, I don't want to role model that for everybody. Um, in terms of like working like 14 hours a day, <laughs> I don't think that's probably healthy for most people. I'm really lucky that I can do what I love, but I don't want to role model that for people. Um, in terms of like the uh, the engagement style that I have with people, very aggressive. I love crazy people, yeah. especially crazy girls. <laughs> I like the fighting. I like the conflict. I don't want to role model that for people, right? So it's hard that in one sense, like I'd like to be more of a role model for people because I do think I'm very happy. I've been having very insightful of you, by the way. I, I, I think, well, sorry to interrupt, but oh, no, continue. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, I do want to be a role model for people, but like there's so many traits about me that I don't think most people should copy. Yeah. So I don't want to be a role model in some ways as well. And that's difficult to balance. Yeah. Yeah, they're very they work for you in the particular way that you are versus the more broadly universalizable thing that we good for a lot of people is mm-hmm. a different approach to their information diet and how they construct their worldview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's very true. And when people go and I sort of even did today, how should people talk to girls? How should people interact? You're like, look, I got my way of doing it, <laughs> but yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to write the book mm-hmm. on this particular thing. Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, cool, man. Anything else we want to hit? Um, no, I just want to reiterate how much I'm disappointed in you that you didn't tell me that Dr. K was <laughs> I just had an awesome talk with him like a month ago and he's really cool. And I'm, yeah, I'm sad. I hope that there's um, a meetup he had mentioned, I don't want to name drop, but he's like, I talked to these other streamers who I'm sure, you know, mm-hmm. um, and we had a conversation at VidCon that th- something like this needs to happen. And oftentimes with streamers, there's this you need to make content. And there was, all, there was also a collective understanding, like, let's leave, turn off the cameras. Like, let's talk about um, making something. And I was like, dude, I would I'd fucking love that. I dig that because he's in the mental health space. And I feel that's that's one angle of what I'm curious about. So mm-hmm. I'd say we're allowed to be involved with that too. If you ever needs more people, if you guys are looking for people. Oh, dude, yeah. 100%, 100%. I remember I went back to my, um, I wanted to be... Um, like do some type of like mentorship for like people that are like, especially young men. I went back to my high school and I tried to volunteer there and they didn't yeah. want anything to do with me. Aww. So I was like, oh, fuck me. So yeah, any any style of like thing like that would be super fun to be involved within in some way. I think so. that'd be so cool because there's such a thrust of, you can call them, a lot of them are entrepreneurs and I understand they're trying to make their first buck mm-hmm. and trying to, uh, you know, I, I don't change, I, I sell things who are looking to get customers to give them money so that they can live their life. And I think that there's, you're in that position. I'm in a position where um, I can give without expectation of receiving anything other than the joy of giving. And, you know, Dr. K is, I think there, there's a number of people that it could be really cool. And uh, it could be just a different type of influence than is so popular right Mm -hmm. now. So I'll definitely let you know. Okay. Beautiful. Thanks for coming, man. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me, man.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.